Here we are. I do believe we are all the way live. Welcome, everybody, to yet another Break the Rules stream. I am your very humble host, extremely humble host, Left Poliakov, Left Po on Twitter. Giovanni Penichetti is here, as always. Pineal Colada, Daniel Pinchbeck, Owen Cyclops. This is going to be one for the ages. I'm very excited to have everybody here talking about psychedelics, the world of psychedelics. I mean, Daniel, uh, Daniel and I go back uh, several years. Uh, we had an event at the National Arts Club. Uh, we know many of uh, the same people from around the uh, Burning Man sphere. And uh, Owen, I've met pretty recently. Paniel Collada, I've met even more recently. <laughs> but uh, as far as talking about psychedelics goes, I would love to definitely start off with uh, Daniel. And for those who don't know about Daniel, he's an American author, books including Breaking Open the Head, Psychedelic Journey into the Heart of Contemporary Shamanism, 2012, The Return of Quetzalcoatl. And uh, he is the co-founder of the web magazine Reality Sandwich. And I also the website... have his, uh, his yes. uh, book right next to me, um, Notes from the Edges of Time, uh, from the ed Edge Time. Is, uh, yeah, it's a good collection of short essays that you could eat them like cookies. So, uh, yeah. Nice. Excellent. And uh, Owen Cyclops, I just want to quickly say he's an amazing artist, and I'm going to post the links to everybody's stuff as the chat gets going for those who are not familiar with anybody here. But anyway, let's start off with uh, Daniel. Daniel, what would you say for you personally is one of the most important things, uh, the most important impacts that psychedelics have had uh, in the world? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, in the world... Um, well, I mean, I mean, we know that, um, you know, they've been sort of like, uh, instigated a lot of breakthroughs, you know, like, um, um, in, um, science and technology, like internet and so on, you know, like uh, if you read, uh, what, what the Dormouse said, uh, we know that a lot of the pioneers of the internet were taking psychedelics, um, and that gave them some of the insights into interconnectivity and so on. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I, I guess... Uh, I mean, we know the psychedelic culture of the 60s, you know, the late Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, um, you know, that was all informed by psychedelics um, and uh, great, you know, literature and art, whether it was Artaud's uh, book, The Peyote uh, Dance or uh, Huxley's um, kind of um, Doors of Perception. But, you know, I think all, all in all, the main, the main value of them is to give people in the modern Western Sort of scientific materialist worldview. What one value is, is to give them a different, you know, access to to you know other other ways of understanding the nature of reality. You know, so open open a door, a crack in the in the in the in the, in the kind of sealed door of Western rationalism. And uh, would you also say that uh, for yourself, what would be the most important contribution you personally would like to have in the world of psychedelics? Uh, well, I mean, I think that, you know, my first book was one of the instigators in the sort of current psychedelic, you know, re renaissance. It came out in 2002, breaking open the head. And when I was writing that book, you really couldn't talk about psychedelics uh, in uh, New York or the East Coast literary, you know, media world. They were really frowned on or just, or just ridiculed. And I think the book helped to change perception, you know, and, and provide the opening for the current psychedelic renaissance. Uh, beyond that, I mean, my, 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 my big interest is... Um, Kind of, um, you know, taking some of the energy that you know, and sort of, you know, to, to, to sort of like, you know, because I think psychedelics are very powerful for deconditioning and opening our minds and so on. And the, the problem is that you know we're facing an ecological Armageddon, 
that uh, could basically end, you know, humanity's existence on the earth or lead to a crash of our civilization. You know, my hope is that, you know, somehow, you know, psychedelics can be used as tools for, you know, thinking and awakening and, and somehow help us to deal with this uh, emergency. And um, would you say that there was a, having experienced well with the latter one, but would you say there was a marked difference between the originary like 60s psychedelic movement, if you will, for lack of a better term, and the sort of rebirth of that same new age spirit in the 1990s that you were more of a part of? Do you think that they were characterized by sort of different trends or was it sort of like a revivalism? Because as Terrence uh, McKenna said, it was like the 60s was this failed alchemy. And I guess like the 90s was another kick at the can at that particular moment in time. Uh, well, I think a, a big difference with, with the more recent uh, psychedelic renaissance, I mean, well, I mean, I guess there's a few differences. I mean, I mean, you know, now we're seeing the science coming back and, you know, all these, you know, like Imperial College is showing studies of like, you can see with people who, you know, brain scans, people on high dose uh, psilocybin or whatever, LSD. Uh, but I think, you know, one of the big differences is uh, kind of a lot more connection to the indigenous uh, practices. So like the influence of like the ayahuasca shamanism or, you know, it's like, uh, uh, we didn't really have a context for them in the sixties and, um, so, you know, Timothy Leary and Ram Dass did that book, you know, the, the psychedelic, uh, you know, experience that was based on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. They were kind of grabbing what they could from mystical cultures to try to provide like an instant container or context for it. And, and now, you know, we have a lot more knowledge of uh, these indigenous traditions and how, how they've been using them for you know, probably thousands of years. Now, I would like to get to uh, Pineal Colada and then to Owen. Pineal Colada, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? You are a psychedelic artist, and uh, I'm very uh, happy to have you here uh, with us. How were you inspired to do your art first off? Uh, let's start with there. Okay, and then that we can add into the Discord here. Just um, in 2012, the first time I smoked DMT, just art exploded out of me the next day. Just... Oh, your mic's a little bit uh, weird, by the way. Make sure you're speaking uh, closer uh, to it. Okay. Or it's a little bit fuzzy. Sure. Um, there we go. Just the simple act of doing psychedelics um, did something out of me that like wasn't with me before i wasn't into art i didn't make art i didn't make anything i wasn't a creator i was just like a consumer and then it just came all out and it came out fast and furious and uh i've been making art ever since usually like every day or at least a few times a week and just i don't know i just need to get it out um yeah that's me <laughs> Excellent. And uh, for, add mm -hmm. the Discord, but. Oh, I could do it for you. Here is your Etsy. Everybody follow uh, Pineal Colada both on Twitter and on her Etsy right over here. Now, uh, By follow, oh, you mean buy something on your Etsy? Yes, <laughs> yes, buy something. That's right. Now, now As artists, we don't, I mean, it's not that we get money. It's not that we're opposed to getting money, but it's, it's a nice perk. Yeah, and BTR is not opposed to getting money either, which is why I have to become a patron, patreon.com slash break the rules. You're getting all kinds of cool stuff. But now let's go to Owen Cyclops. You are also an artist, 
and you are also somebody who had a psychedelic experience. So and had a very interesting history with psychedelics. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's start out with this because I think this would be very interesting to have you and Daniel kind of talk about this coming from different uh, generations of uh, psychedelic experience and uh, experiencing different results. So uh, uh, go for it, Owen. Yeah, well, my background is that, to put it in like a tiny nutshell, is I've always been a pretty spiritual seeker kind of person. That's always been like the main axis that I've been going down, the main like vector in my development, I guess you could say. I'm an artist. Uh, that's my main thing that I do. And yeah, long story short, I did the very sort of archetypal, almost like cliche path of, you know, getting into Eastern mysticism and then you know, psychedelics and, you know, getting into shopping the spiritual buffet, I guess you could say. Um, I guess I have a little bit of an atypical perspective because I did stop doing them eventually. I got pretty into it. I mean, I don't like to like flex about it because other people have done it more than me or in different capacities. But usually what I say is that I did it about as much as you could without really altering your lifestyle without joining some sort of, you know, commune or group or something like that. So I did DMT and a bunch of stuff a lot. But uh, eventually, my spiritual path led me away from that. And it's interesting, you framed it in terms of like different generations. That's an interesting framing. Because for me, I feel like I almost can't imagine the world that, uh, you know, you initially described Daniel, where it's like, you know, you can't talk about it. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that was the case. But for me, when I was coming up, it was sort of the opposite. It was almost like, this is what everyone's doing. This is like the thing for sure. And I guess I'm a little bit reactionary against it almost in a way because I do feel like there is this almost nefarious counter effect or there are these unforeseen consequences that I think are gonna happen as it becomes way more mainstream. And we see like Lindsay Lohan talking about doing mm -hmm. ayahuasca on like Vice News. For me, I'm kind of like, whoa, I think this is going to have some negative effects. And there's this underside to it that uh, I kind of picked up on. And then I sort of stopped doing them. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, to be honest. Um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I slowed down tremendously. Uh, I definitely noticed that they had, uh, after over time, negative effects on my um, character. And um, yeah, I feel there's a, there, you totally agree with you. There's a whole shadow side that the psychedelic movement, you know, mostly isn't really dealing with right now. I mean, there's been such a rush, you know, to get them, you know, reaccepted re in the mainstream and perhaps legalized. And now there's a huge, you know, capitalism uh, gold rush around it. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of things to, to, to ask about. I mean, what, one, you know, one idea would be uh, you know, if you believe there are kind of, you know, super sensible entities, astral entities connected to these experiences, you know, with all these people having unprotected uh, psychedelic experiences, you know, without any kind of, you know, shaman or lineage, and festivals and so on, are they actually sort of, you know, unknowingly kind of eroding the boundary between between the psychic and the physical planes? Uh, so I think that's, that's, that's one thing to worry about, among other things. Almost like a schizoanalysis sort of thing, but not as romantic as people make it out to be and our good friend zero hp lovecraft good writer in the chat great writer says that i'm here for owen's explication of the ufos equals psychedelics equals demon connection <laughs> so we could probably talk about that dissolving of boundaries but that's an interesting topic daniel is because i wanted to get into that a bit about how the sort of paradigm of capitalist realism is now starting to turn its eye towards like using 
I think the framework of like this medicalization around psychedelia that now it can be a therapeutic device for like Silicon Valley coders. It seems that that Californian ideology meshed with the psychedelic movement. And now it's, it's that emancipatory project of it where, I don't know, we could give world leaders psychedelics or something like that. It seems, I mean, maybe it's just me being cynical, but I'm, I'm starting to see these connections where we're seeing this re-territorialization of it. Now it's no longer this paradigm where you're oppressing it where it's bad, but now it's starting to, we're starting to see like the culture industry and, and uh, capitalism itself take these, um, these suspensions of consciousness and use it to their advantage. Like micro dosing, for example, is all the rage among Silicon Valley. So, so I wonder from a critical approach, what you, and I know me and Owen, we've talked about this, but w- what do you think of that? Like, do you think there's still a hope for some kind of like entheogenic uh, idealism, if you will? And also Pineal, make sure that this uh, discord is not on because the volume, I think it's causing the alarms to uh, go off. But anyway, yes, Daniel, go for it. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, uh, Gio, I mean, I mean, you know, I'm sure you're aware that like hundreds of millions of dollars are pouring into, you know, the, you know hundreds of companies are starting up, uh, you know, kind of based on, you know, sort of, you know, based on what happened with uh, marijuana, obviously. Uh, but some of these companies are started by, you know, major investment investors or like the PayPal mafia, like Peter Thiel, you know, Silicon Valley uh, funds and so on. And, and some of them are trying to patent uh, molecules for um, treatments and, and also patent different treatment modalities. Even, even like apparently Compass has been awarded at least for the time being patents in like, you know, using like soft furniture. And, and, and I don't know what exactly, but, um, you know, so, so uh, you know, with, with the, the, the attempt is going to be to create something like an Amazon or Uber of psychedelics. It's designing the uh, the fighting setting for everybody. And they're also looking aggressively for molecules that, uh, for instance, don't have a difficult side to them, you know, so Mm -hmm. easier for people. So that's sort of like very uh, brave new world. You have this like turbocharged, you know, financial capital to lead looking for kind of SOMA, exactly. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, um, you know, I, I guess uh, I, I, my personal hope had been that uh, this was, I wrote a book in 2017 called How Soon Is Now, uh, which um, tried to offer like a system design approach to the ecological emergency. Uh, my, my hope was that, you know, the psychedelics would lead to something more like an anarchist uh, revolution, uh, you know, where people would recognize, you know, the sovereign you know, nature of our individuality. Uh, but instead, it looks like they're being, you know, assimilated into the, you know, amorphous capitalist machinery. Yeah. Wow. Well, well, assimilation is one part of it. The other part of it, which uh, Owen talked about uh, earlier on, and people were bringing up uh, people like Seraphim Rose, for example, talking about certain uh, negative effects of these uh, entities. And again, I personally don't know if these entities are real, if they're not real. But Owen, can you talk a little bit about that side of it? And do you see that also coming together with this uh, side of it having to do with uh, capitalism that uh, Daniel was talking about. Also, are the, are, the, are the machine elves demons, Owen? Are they demons? Yeah, well, I guess when I when I kind of like introduced myself, I, I uh, played it played it like, that's kind of like half the story, I guess. Um, I don't know, you know, it's like, introduce yourself. Tell me about your entire world, yeah. you know? Um, <laughs> because 
you guys have kind of touched on it. For me, one thing that I think is really interesting, and it's kind of where I usually start the conversation with other people, is that what I came to realize eventually was that taking meaning from the psychedelic experience inherently involves positing something about what it is and what these entities are and how it happens. Um, an example I usually use is uh, I went to a peyote ceremony once and I was talking to a girl and she said, yeah, you know, last time I did peyote, I looked into this fire and I saw my dead brother. My brother died, unfortunately. And I looked into the fire and I saw him there and he was looking back at me and he told me all this stuff. And she didn't say this, but she's like, you know, it was really crazy, obviously. And that always really stuck with me because for me, what you think that is affects the meaning you're going to take away from that. Is it like actually her brother talking to her? And then you have to build this larger framework of like, well, I guess the dead are hanging out waiting for us to do peyote so they can talk to us. Or is it like source consciousness? Is it like this new age kind of like energy manifesting as her brother? And like, what does that mean? Or maybe you're like, well, it's a trickster deity. It's like a demon or something tricking you. And then that involves the whole thing, or maybe it's just a hallucination, you know, that involves the whole thing. So my point is that I started to realize that doing it and trying to take meaning from the experience couldn't be decoupled from building a larger worldview. Mm -hmm. um, not to like go on and on, but some people maybe know, some people don't, but like within theology and within like religious studies, there's something called systemic theology, where you basically start at square one and you're like, let's build the whole system cohesively and see what the whole deal is. And I almost feel like doing psychedelics a lot entails doing that, whether you realize it or not. Over time, you sort of do have to come to conclusions about what these things are and explain it. And a big part of it all for me, not to go on and on, but just to wrap it up, a big part of it all for me was, you know, I'd go to like, I went to an ayahuasca retreat one time and we're sitting in this sweat lodge afterwards. And one girl's like, yeah, you know, when I was on ayahuasca, I saw Avalokiteshvara, you know, this thousand armed deity of compassion yeah. came to talk to me. And then the next person is like, well, uh, I saw, you know, Fatima, I saw Muhammad's daughter, this like Muslim kind of prophetess woman appeared to me. And then the shaman's like, yeah, one time I took ayahuasca and I saw Jesus, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, but how do I piece all of that information together? How does that all fit together into, co into a cohesive story? Because a lot of these things that are happening to people involve like contradictory claims and stuff. So eventually I started to become more skeptical of the experience itself and my worldview sort of shifted a lot then. I've kind of gone on long enough about that. But um, I think that that's a big part of what you're asking. Like, you know, Daniel was saying, oh, I thought it would, you know, start this particular kind of revolution or this change. And then we're saying, well, these companies are using it to make their drones more efficient. So it's interesting because I almost feel like at the end of the day, you can use them as tools to do different functions based on the framing that you're putting over it. But that doesn't mean that they're worldview neutral. I do have explanations, I think, that explain the whole experience. But at the same time, I recognize that some atheist that like the Apple factory could take a bunch of acid and be like, wow, we should make a trillion iPods and give everyone an iPod, you know. <laughs> but that's, I think, the political salience of it as well as something too because it's i mean let's face it, the vast majority of psychedelic politics ostensibly comes from like there is this weird moment where the new left sort of t took it in its corpus but then i mean when you look at history i mean there's a lot of like very you know far-right borderline fascistic groups who have like done psychedelics like i mean even figures like julius evola have like done some things and i think that people have a utopian ideal around them but it's whether 
I think, like you said, even just doing them entails a certain mode of being open to certain experiences or, or a certain worldview. But that being said, where does it go from there in terms of talking about a, a mass political project for most people? Because even like people that came later, like, I mean, I mentioned Terrence McKenna, he was very critical of the Tim- Timothy Leary project. Well, you know, let's, let's make barrels of LSD and put it in the, in the drinking water. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I used to be, I used just to clarify, I used to be almost like a devotee of Terrence McKenna. I mean, I've listened to probably all the audio I could ever find of him like multiple times. Uh, so I used to be really, really, really down with that, but yeah. And I guess the other flip is that I think that it also involves an element of recognizing that we can be deceived and what the ramifications of that are. Someone asked about Sarah from Rose. I'm sure we'll maybe talk about that later, mm-hmm. but I think there's I also still have my, Ken- my McKenna poster. The pink <laughs> square in the background is in. Well, uh, well, Daniel, as far as uh, as far as deception goes, and even to rewind a bit back, as far as the initial question that uh, Owen asked, how can I reconcile all of these different visions that people are seeing under psychedelics? What would be uh, your answer? Well, I mean, my answer is written in, in my books. I mean, Breaking Open the Head in 2012 were very much attempts to do just that. And it's hard to like unpack them in, in, in a you know paragraph or two. But I think, you know, I mean, Jung's ideas about there being archetypes in the collective unconscious are helpful. Um, you know, and then he later on, you know, sort of admitted that, you know, those archetypes were not really that different than, than kind of, you know, what traditions talk about as spirits. I mean, I think Jung and also Rudolf Steiner were kind of like, you know, the great thinkers of the 20th century, kind of like repositioning the shamanic kind of animistic uh, worldview, you know, the age of the ancient, you know, the ancients for the modern psyche in a way. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it feels to me that uh, there are actually all sorts of forces, uh, you know, in, in, in the collective unconscious or in the, you know, whatever dimensions there are. And, and you, you actually can have interactions with them and, and, and those interactions can have consequence in different ways, good, good and bad. So I think um, we don't really know what we're doing yet. Um, and um, that's a problem, you know, but it's also where, you know, just where we're at as, as a species, and as a society right now. I mean, you know, clearly, you know, I guess, I guess my perspective would, would be that, you know, these plants are, you know, actively engaged with us, you know, that they, they also have, you know, an agenda if, if they have an intelligence or consciousness behind them. And, um, you know, they're, they're choosing to engage with us at this very complicated time where we're <clears throat> creating technologies that could basically eviscerate our, you know, capacity to continue on the planet and so on. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of things to lots of strength there. I wanted to uh, get to Pineal and uh, then to uh, also introduce uh, Alexandra Plotnik. Welcome back. But uh, also, as far as uh, Owen goes, I would be very curious uh, if you could think a little bit about what would you say would be the biggest disagreement you would have in terms of uh, worldview, something that could be, let's say, needed needed with the knuckle, so to speak, to kind of relax that muscle that's still uh, around even after you and Daniel have agreed, I think, on uh, a lot of things right now. So what would be like the crux of the biggest disagreement? But while you're thinking about that, I want to get to Pineal. Pineal, uh, Collada, what do you think so far of the discussion as far as what uh, Owen and Daniel were talking about? Yeah, I, I would like to know if plants had some sort of worldwide agenda and they're fulfilling it very shortly and where that's going to take us and what that's going to look like. 
I think it's really interesting that Daniel's been studying this stuff for 20 plus years. And yeah, in the past few years, it's just, it is mainstream now and it's exploded. Um, that has to feel really weird to be a part of that from the back to the front now. Um, even just, yeah, like I picked up a, just DMT, like for sale, just to, just to, wow. just to vape, just a regular old yeah. vape, but with DMT transporting right. you. And like really cute packaging and just very extreme. And wow. Where, that's sorry, a, where'd that's you get insane. that? That's insane. That's it's, it's yeah. That's that's like giving a nuke to a, <laughs> to a seal, yeah to a baby monkey. Right. So, like humanity is just has this power in their hands. I mean, like yeah, spiritual <laughs> spiritual nukes. Uh, so uh, Alexandra, you have also had a psychedelic experience recently, but a therapeutic one. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, I signed up for um, intravenous ketamine infusions to treat my PTSD, um, and. Uh, it's definitely helped more than any other like thing I've done. Uh, and I think it's sort of, it kind of like freed up a lot of mental energy uh, for me post-treatment. I have, I'm so much more like awake and alive. Like, and this is like months afterwards. Uh, it's been profoundly affecting and hopefully the effects will continue because my, 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 my current psychiatrist says it'll last about six months. Um, the ketamine people said that like, if I'm lucky, I'll never have to go back. Uh, you know, sort of what I've read online, they said the effects are only supposed to last a couple of weeks, but it's definitely been longer than that. Excellent. And uh, before I get back to Owen, I just want to say for everybody, don't forget to sneed us super chats. Sneed us those super chats and we will answer the super chats. So anyway, Owen Cyclops, uh, I'm very curious and very excited to uh, hear what you have to say about what would be the biggest hurdle, the biggest disagreement that uh, could be looked into closer. Uh, that's a good question. Um, well, I don't want to like presume what other people, what other people think without necessarily knowing, but I don't like to be too contentious. I mean, actually, actually I kind of do, but I guess in general, the, the biggest difference I have with probably most people is that I don't think the overall effect of all this is going to be positive. That would be one angle. And I think the other angle would be that I actually do think that you know, we were just talking about like, oh, if the plants like have an intelligence and stuff like that. I do think that's the case in a very particular sense, but ultimately I do think it's hooked into something that is malevolent, honestly, not to like sugarcoat it, but I do think that. I don't think that, well, within my worldview, everyone has their own worldview. It's pretty hard for me to build a framework where they're not hooked into some larger force that's going to have like a negative effect. I'll put it that way. But also, do you think that even this sort of quest for a t sort of a total reconciliation with these, these plants, I mean, maybe, I mean, I know it's like terribly uncouth to say, especially in, the, okay. in the, those circles, but maybe it's the case that, not everyone can, and we talked about this the other stream, maybe not everyone can like become a shaman. Maybe it's it's sort of like uh, these tools in, in other people's hands that are not meant for them. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Well, right? the, like shamanism, the shamanism thing is actually a really good node because I really had my perspective of shamanism flipped slowly over time also. 
initially I really did see it as this almost like gold coded relic of like the origin of religion. And I saw, you know, religion itself as kind of downstream from shamanism, almost like mm. religion is like a corruption of shamanism and like, oh, a priest is kind of like a shaman, but he just doesn't have like the magic tools anymore. But eventually it almost sort of became the opposite for me, where I feel like organized religion is more of like the true expression of that. And then where we see shamanism, I don't want to characterize it negatively inherently, but there's a break for me there. I think the people I was around, at least I can't speak for anyone else. I think that we look at a lot of shamans and shamanic cultures and see them kind of as, oh, these people are trying to gather like spiritual knowledge and wisdom like I am, like in my bedroom, like I do mushrooms in my bedroom. That's kind of like this Javaro shaman in the Amazon when he does ayahuasca, right? Like we're both kind of, but the more I looked into it, the more I felt like that connect was not exactly the way it is, if you know what I'm saying. I started to have that break also. <clears throat> Well, uh, Daniel, I'm curious uh, what you think as far as uh, Owen's uh, statements about this being much more malevolent. And you did say that there is an aspect of it that has malevolence in it. Owen seems to be leaning on it being much more malevolent than not, and also leaning on organized religion as being more of a, uh, you know, uh, unironically a savior to uh, this no, whole I, process. I, I, I mean, I totally disagree. I think it's a silly perspective. Um, I mean... Um, you know, essentially, yeah, we know um, that, um, you know, originally there was kind of initiation was the model for like the mysteries of Eleusis, the ancient world, the mystery traditions. And, um, you know, the Roman Empire kind of like uh, com com combined, you know, with a certain form of Christianity, you know, shaped the canonical gospels in a certain way to create a hierarchical system where the Gnostic gospel says, you know, open the door for yourself and you'll know what is. It's quite likely there was a, you know, mushroom, mushroom cult in early Christianity uh, that was based around direct experience of the divine, you know, potentially using entheogens as one avenue, maybe other avenues also. Uh, but instead, it became a hierarchical control system that led directly into, you know, the sort of capitalist technocracy that we have today, which is about, you know, controlling people's consciousness, controlling, you know, the knowledge. People's attention. You know, what's that? People's attention is huge. The control of people's attentions, how humans pay attention and what they pay attention yeah, to. The attention. market for that is massive. Yeah, and, and even just the whole worldview that you're allowed to have, you know. So um, mm -hmm. I really love the idea that, um, you know, so I, you know, and I think that, you know, when I look at my own life, you know, not that psychedelics solved everything, but it's much more exciting to now be in a, in a, in a universe that has many dimensions and, and you know, many forms of, uh, you know, different realities and, and, you know, spiritual planes. And, you know, I think that's like 5-MeO DMT from the Bufo frog or the synthetic version is a way you can have a direct experience of what, you know, Buddhism talks about is nirvana or the void, um, you know, where there's no ego, it's just pure non-duality, you know. So I, th I, think, I think, you know, used properly, given the proper context, th these are incredible tools for knowledge. And I think the plants have a positive agenda, uh, you know, in terms of their plants. I mean, they're, they're you know, they're, they're, long-living species that are symbiotes and have figured out how to evolve uh, with, you know, this, so, you know, Gaian mind, this Gaian intelligence. So, yeah, I find that Owen's uh, perspective seems very, very flawed to me. Well, I want to dig in this a little bit more well, with would, Owen. Like, I would Owen, love to respond yeah. to that. I would love go to for it. Go that. for it. Well, the thing is that there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but 
<laughs> I find that it, it, it's there's a lot of givens, and I feel like each one for me personally kind of crumbles under scrutiny. I mean, to be honest with you, it sounds like you just had some bad trips, my friend. <laughs> Actually, the thing is, I've never had a bad trip. Um, but I'll respond. I'll, resp I'll respond to what you said though, because the thing is, for example, like there's a lot of sort of. I mean, you use the word silly, so I guess I'll just be like totally honest. You use a lot of these like meme terms that seem to carry a lot of weight, but for example, like appealing to well, you know, organized religion is hierarchical. Well, the thing is, shamanism is also hierarchical. Those cultures are hierarchical for sure. If we go to the Amazon and find the Shipibo doing ayahuasca, they have an extremely hierarchical society. So well, it's you can't, you can't that's actually, a really good point. It's not actually true. I mean, you can't actually generalize because there's lots of different Amazonian cultures. And I've, I've worked with some like the Sequoia who really are non-hierarchical. Um, well, there's so non-hierarchical Christian groups too. Yeah. There, there's there's non-hierarchical and hierarchical groups for everyone. Yeah, but, but they're heretical, Owen. So don't worry about it. <laughs> no. But... Well, what, I, what I'm saying though is that like you you could do the same thing for every side. I mean, we could we could find no, I, any group anywhere. I we could say like, oh, there's these Sufi Muslims and they're not hierarchical. You know, we mm, could, mm -hmm. so yeah. yeah. Well, and and, and the, the Sufis are a lot closer to the psychedelic uh, perception. But I think the problem, yeah, well, though, the, the one, sorry, I cut you off, Owen, I'm very sorry. Well, yeah, just, I guess that would be the other main thing. I mean, there's like a bunch of things, but I think that the presupposition that they're closer to the psychedelic worldview because I have presupposed that taking psychedelics is a genuine experience of the divine is an extremely large presupposition. And I don't think that you can really maintain that you have to cut a lot of stuff out. I mean, to presuppose that, well, this mystical group is kind of psychedelic-y because psychedelics are a real experience of the divine. I mean, what about when my friend takes psychedelics and has a completely delusional experience? Yeah, well, that, that, that can happen also, for sure. But I think the, the criticism I would have is that, and I know this will come off as like, you know, more closely aligned to, I would say, post-colonial studies. And there has been discourse with that in terms of, Western psychedelic tourism, I think that every culture has its own specific contextualization of their own rituals and their own worldview. And so I feel that a lot of this universalism present within the psychedelic experience isn't really there because, I mean, to just really like make a long story short, the idea of like, I don't know, hipsters from the from the West, like going to the Amazon and having like shaman tours. I mean, to me, I, I feel like not having the proper cultural or even uh, ethnic or spiritual context leads to a lot of these sort of funny notions about them. And perhaps maybe this need to give the world this gift is in a way a hindrance to those experiences, right? So, and there definitely is I mean, people in post-colonial studies who are critiquing like this the literature that has come out of like the 60s and the in the 90s and even like recently in the 2010s when you know people like millennials started listening to terence mckenna on youtube right i mean there there is a viable criticism to say that these things have a context mm. deeper than just you know someone's individual experience so. mm. well there is a certain hierarchy in a lot of organized religions that let's say something that Owen would appreciate in them is that they would, let's say, give the 
uh, masses of people a sort of grounding where there's this tradition that's going back, you know, hundreds, uh, not hundreds, well, thousands of years, and this is something that they could rely on. But uh, with uh, Daniel's perspective, if I understand it correctly, you are somebody who was able to get a lot out of the psychedelic experience as a, as an individual uh, person to explore as you wanted to. Would it be fair, Owen, to say that one of your concerns would not be so much for explorers like uh, Daniel, but for regular people that they wouldn't go on, let's say, uh, the wrong path if they're not, you know, in some kind of a very standard, like, bedrock system of how to behave, where their, let's say, naivete can lead them astray. Would that be a concern that you have? I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that seems to be something that uh, uh, may be brought up. Well, well, yeah, just to be clear, I'm not necessarily appealing to hierarchy as inherently good. I'm just saying that if the critique is, well, look at this system, it's hierarchical, that that's not inherently bad, if you get what I'm saying. Um, no, yeah, so you know, the best things in the world are based on hierarchical structures, because it, it's, it's organizational. And then, you know, if you know your place in the hierarchy, then you can better, you know, perform in your prescribed role. I think things only kind of get bad when you can't, when a hierarchy isn't um, a mediocrity. What is it? Meritocracy. Um, meritocracy, thank you. <laughs> when you can't rise up in the hierarchy based yeah. on your capacities. It could be bad or good, yeah, or for sure. Or seniority, you know? Yeah. yeah. If it's meant uh, to, like, bring people down. Well, that is a concern that people do have about organized religions. I mean, I think, Daniel, you may agree with me here that throughout the ages, they have also been uh, used to, uh, you know, even though people may say one thing according to the gospel, they're humans at the end of the day, and they're going to act like humans, and they're going to screw up the lives of people that they happen to be against, whether it's some neighbor they don't like or anything of that nature. So I can't expect a lot of these people to act as Jesus did. I would expect them to act like humans do. And I don't know, Daniel, if that would be something that would also concern you about organized religions. And uh, But do you also see uh, Owen's point as far as uh, certain dangers in relation to having too much freedom? Or do you imagine that uh, there's no such thing as too much freedom and that people should kind of like explore their own path and there is not much of a need to have as solid of a hierarchy as we used to? Uh, all right. There's a lot of stuff there. Um, well, I mean, um, you know, yeah, I definitely think that these big organized religions have, you know, been very destructive, you know, forces on, on you know, humanity and, and, you know, whether it's the, you know, Muslims or the Christians or, you know, the Judaism. I mean, you know, they, they, they tend to constrict people in these like, you know, outdated, ossified systems and so on. Um, and, uh, but they're also beauties, of course, you know, but I mean, I, I don't think they're working out as being, you know, for the best of everybody. Uh, and in terms of too much freedom, I think we're in a, you know, experimental phase. I mean, I think the sixties were the beginning of a initiatory journey for modern Western psyche, uh, that, you know, had lost touch with the, you know, visionary dimension, the intuitive dimensions, you know, magic, alchemy, you know, the left-hand path, all this stuff. And, you know, the visionary plants and psychedelic compounds are one of the main ways that that's come roaring back, you know, into this, you know, kind of real, shared consensus reality. And, you know, I think that it's an ongoing process, like we're still in the midst of it, you know. So at the moment, it's a chaotic process, you know, depending, you know, what happens over the next hundred years, you know, maybe new structures will form that 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 will make sense, that, will, that you know, that, that will, you know, containers you know, it could be schools, it could be mystery schools, it could be 
institutions for consciousness research. You know, it could be um, Hogwarts for adults. You know, mm. who, who the hell knows? But, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yay, I want to go to magic school. Oh, I'm man. Mushrooms 101, ayahuasca. You have to trip your balls off yeah. in order to graduate. <laughs> I would fucking love that. The dark oh, arts teacher way, would be Julius yeah. Evola. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, oh, like, oh, well, for yeah. the record, I'm actually like, I don't do drugs anymore. Um, I really don't. They do nothing for me. Uh, I'm, I'm not, I yeah. wouldn't say I'm straight edge because I'll like, I don't know. I'll have a wine spritzer like once a month, but yeah. Nice. <laughs> and uh, Owen, what would be your uh, response to what Daniel uh, said? Um, yeah, well, the thing is that I I don't want like what I'm saying to be like misconstrued. Like, I guess part of what I think was illumined to me as I went further on and I think is lurking almost like a Trojan horse in most discussions of psychedelics is that people tend to think that they are a little bit more worldview neutral than they are. So it's easy to point at a different system that is like systematized and laid out. But the thing is even saying something like, well, um, you know, the Romans and the Greeks were doing this thing in Eleusis and we're a continuation of that tradition and the plans get us in touch with this guy in mind and they're going to help us solve this larger crisis of, you know, mental, physical interaction in the universe. Like that involves just as much of a, a, a worldview as someone who says, you know, I'm a Pentecostal Christian who believes in the Bible saying like, well, oh, and do you think. But do you think that potentially psychedelics, I mean, Daniel's done extensive work in this. Do you think that perhaps if people like, you know, tuned out a bit, they would realize the limitations of like consumer, like uh, commodity fetishized consumer capitalism and this like relenting need for like material growth that has doomed us supposedly as a species and in, in, has doomed the world? Or do you think that there's a way of like taking these other traditions and plugging them you know what i mean like integrating them like like they're i mean i know me and you we've you know explored some other people in this area that are a bit more radical but, but well what do you, like, yeah. for me i mean i there is a certain like um epistemological like horizon where i don't want to say like well you know everyone in this group is like this you know because if someone said that to me like i would feel like that's unfair but in general i really am at this point where i kind of feel like this picture that's generally painted of psychedelics, I really have to ask myself, like how much of this is just imagined and a myth? I mean, I know a lot of people that have done psychedelics and it, even me, and it's really hard for me to pinpoint how many of these people have really been made better, more moral people by this experience? Like we have this idea that people will do them and then they'll become more, you know, ecologically conscious and more spiritually conscious and they'll care more about these important causes. But when I actually look out in the real world and think about my own experience with people doing them, I mean, you could just say, well, this is the people you know, but I really don't know if that's really the case. And I wonder how much we're setting ourselves up for almost like Timothy Leary, two where we're like yeah i mean if more people do this they'll finally get it and i'm kind of sitting here like we kind of tried that and yeah, no. i feel like it didn't work no and i, I mean, wonder think of the if Manson it just family yeah think about how, what happened there there's like a lot of the margin of error for like introducing psychedelics to different human populations is like pretty fucking high you know 
like you, you when you're in an altered state that's a sense of that you're vulnerable basically you're vulnerable to mind control you're vulnerable to exploitation you know but even still i mean that that is sort of the the mythology that i mean there's books like acid mind that talk about this but then whether the claims of of mind control via psychedelics is valid or not or whether it was just like that in itself was like a cia you know glow in the dark psyop mm. i mean who knows well to uh, to play devil's advocate like daniel if you were to play devil's advocate for uh, owen's position what would you say would be the most disturbing thing the thing that he would never want to happen uh in the world in the next let's say several decades how would it look like uh, if it were to come to fruition well, I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but I mean, I, I think that Owen is also, I mean, um, you know, ignoring, um, you know, the fact that, you know, we're having all of these um, evidence-based um, studies around the benefit of, of psychedelics, um, particularly when they're done, you know, with, um, you know, therapy contacts or so on. I mean, um, you know, so, I mean, actually the science, you know, doesn't agree with him. I mean, so, for instance, they gave psilocybin to a bunch of, you know, kind of volunteers who'd never had a psychedelic experience in their lives. I think those are the Johns Hopkins study. And they measured them with a bunch of psychedelic, it's like psych, psychological kind of tests, you know, three months, six months, a year, two years, even five years after. And they were able to see uh, changes, you know, in their psychological makeup that were positive. So, for instance, um, you know, and, and most of them remembered the ones who hadn't gotten the placebo had gotten the psilocybin you know, remember the experience as being one of the most important and profound of their lives on, on the same level as the birth of their first child or their marriage or whatever. And uh, also, um, so there were different factors that usually as you become an adult, you know, you become kind of stable in these different psychological factors. One of them being your amount of openness to new experience. So it was found even many years after this one psilocybin trip, they, they remain much more open and positive mm -hmm. new experiences and novelty. I think like so, uh, so there is a no, what's that? Sorry, sorry, if we're talking about like different people's sort of susceptibility to being like a shaman versus not a shaman, already having it like if you're already high in an openness to with the openness to experience quadrant in your personality, I think that's a huge contributing factor to whether or not like you're like. Well, these were these were just these were just normal volunteers, and they had a permanent you know positive you know, and you can look this up, Johns Hopkins. You know, you look at all the studies that Maps are doing, studies on ayahuasca for depression, you know, uh, for bulimia, for you know psilocybin for obsessive compulsive disorder. I mean, the evidence is, is gigantic that uh, these things are having a super positive benefit. Yes, and, and you know, it, they're tools, like any tool, like a hammer, you can, you know, smash your thumb with it, or, or you can, you know, build a house, you know. Um, and, um, you know, and I, I've definitely, as I said in the beginning, I've seen it go wrong, you know, even for my, myself, other people at times. But, you know, I, I do see a lot of people evolving through the use of, of these substances. And it's not perfect, you know, but maybe they get to a new stasis point where they're, you know, burning, you know, they went from being corporate lawyers to like, you know, Burning Man, you know, crypto, um, you know, investors or something. But, you know, there doesn't seem to be a continuum there. But I have a friend um, who has been, has a company called Entrepreneurial Awakening. And, and for a long time, he's been bringing, uh, you know, CEOs of tech startups and so on to uh, Peru to go through, you know, ayahuasca, followed by integration counseling. And many of them have, you know, had were fairly grateful to have the experience, but also some of them actually changed what they were doing. You know, there was one guy who was like running a soft drink company and he was like, no, I can't do that anymore. So when he came back, he, he went more into herbal, you know, nutraceuticals, tried to do things that he felt were better for human health. And that to me is pretty common. I've seen a lot of people actually change their, 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 um, 
you know, how they invest their money or, or what, the, what they see as important or how they eat or how they live, you know, usually in good directions, you know, not, not, you know, not so much with LSD or that too, but particularly with ayahuasca and psilocybin and, you know, peyote and so on. But again, so I, yeah, I do have me, a response to that. I would love to respond yeah. to that. Sorry. Well, not for, before yeah. Owen, I just would say that, yeah, well, yeah, actually you go on. I was just going to say yeah. that it does, but wow. But it does sound I mean, pretty I'm positive. I got to say, I mean, just until, until I get to Owen's response, <laughs> I got to say, Daniel, I mean, that it sounds like pretty it's, good. It's rearranging. Well, you, can, you can look at reams and, and reams of scientific evidence at this point. I mean, you can go to maps.org, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They're also doing the studies on MDMA for post-traumatic stress disorder. They're working with um, Iraq and Afghanistan uh, war veterans who had, P you know, treatment adverse forms of PTSD. So many, many things have been tried and failed with them. And they're finding that, you know, three sessions of MDMA-assisted psychotherapy has more than a 60% cure rate for the, for the uh, treatment adverse PTSD. There's also a very interesting movie called uh, From Shock to Awe, which shows a bunch of Iraq war veterans who go down to Florida to work with ayahuasca and they get clear of their PTSD and they throw away all these stupid pills that they were taking, all these things mm. that didn't work. So, you know, I, I think, you know, the, the evidence is really quite strong. That, that it's yeah. Well, it does seem to be better than the mind pills in that sense. And so I'm curious, like, what would be your response to that? Yeah. I mean, okay. it doesn't sound well, bad. Yeah. Well, the thing is that my response to that, it's sort of twofold. I mean, on the one hand, there are people like, you know, like the veterans who, you know, have PTSD and take MDMA. I know that you, you know, this obviously, so I don't want to feel like I'm taking like a cheap shot because you know this, but MDMA isn't technically a psychedelic. Um, so I don't know if I would really group it with everything else here. Uh, but people do ayahuasca and things like that also. Um, on the but, one yeah, hand, That's why I also mentioned from Shock to Awe, a film which you can totally yeah. watch, shows these veterans totally getting cured of their PTSD using ayahuasca. Yeah, so on the one hand, it kind of reminds me when I'm talking to people about, you know, other things like something like weed, for example, and they'll say like, well, what about these kids that have epilepsy and they get cured with weed? I feel like it is qualitatively different than saying that it's a tool for spiritual knowledge. If something has someone has something wrong with their brain and they can do this thing and fix it, I feel like the medical and strictly medical application is different than the spiritual searching application of it. Someone could say that's like me splitting hairs. Okay, that's, actually, that's, actually, that's actually not the case because if you read the reports of people, like for instance, the studies on uh, people who had, uh, you know, end of life uh, anxiety, they were suffering from terminal illnesses, they went through psilocybin and what cured them of the uh, end of life anxiety or lessened it considerably was the mystical experience. So actually, was, what's his name, yeah, Strassman well, and the DMT spear molecule, I think he did some of that work. That was different. That was totally different. That, 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 that was... Um, that's a, that's a, that's another kettlefish. I mean, I mean, there there wasn't really a healing aspect, and actually, the reason he closed closed down that work is he began to get the heebie-jeebies around um, kind of messages he was getting. His wife got cancer. A psychic told him that different spirits were coming into the world through through the DMT. Uh, so that's a more ambiguous uh, example. Mm. Yeah. These, so the other thing, the other thing, which I just, I let off with like a really, really weak point. So I just want to like make yeah. sure that I, I say all your points are actually pretty weak. To be honest. Okay. If you, want, hey, if you want to make it like that, I'm down. Man. Um, okay. Well, the thing, right, well, so if you want to take it there, the thing is that I think it's really, I don't want to say naive because I don't want to be rude, but if that's what it is, I think it's very naive to think that scientists and people working with raw data and things like that are equipped to evaluate someone's inner life and someone's spiritual life through the lens of what they themselves. Wait, wait, let me, let me, wait, wait, let me say what I'm going to say. You don't know what I'm going to say. Hold on, let me say what I'm going to say. No, I don't think I, I because 
For example, if you took someone who, I mean, you could even take anyone you know, if you take someone who smokes a lot of weed and you said, hey, does weed make you happier? Is this improving your life? A lot of them would say yes, even though it's not. So there's a double layer of A, someone isn't actually always equipped to evaluate how their own life is going and how external factors are affecting that. But more importantly, I've looked at those studies and you might find a study where it says, well, I'm just gonna make one up. You know, We gave these people ayahuasca and 80% of them started believing in God. And two years later, they still believe in God. So look at this, look how awesome it is. The thing- Why are you, is, making, why are you making something up? That's just- because I'm, not, because I'm not looking at a study in front of me, but studies like that exist. Mm -hmm. So the point is that when you look at that's studies- not like how, that, that's, that's actually, not how- yeah, that wasn't actually. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, and you got to you got to put a realistic wait, 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 wait. one. You got to bring a realistic study up, though. Those that exist. Makes... Those ex things like no, that exist. No, but a specific one that would help for the conversation, right? To have like a specific study well, that could be let's referenced. Let's not get into the weeds about. Specific okay, I mean, I could pull it up, but my my point is that my point, but the, the point stands. I got this I'm looking at a, at a particular. I could pull one up, I guess, but the the point is that for things like that it's not a given like you i'll use an example you just said you know someone being open to new experiences it's not a given that being open to new experiences is a good thing a lot of people That's wreck true. their life and totally ruin themselves over years by being way too open to new experiences likewise yeah, wait, no, let me finish. seriously it can be a, it can be a trap yeah likewise if you take someone yeah. and say well we gave them ayahuasca and they started believing in god or started believing in x y and z concept those concepts as terms function in terms of a larger worldview. So if you have someone who tells a researcher, yeah, I believe in God now after I took mushrooms, well, what's their conception of God? There are people who think that they're God walking around. They think How much longer are you going to go on on I'm, this? I'm sorry, Actually, dude, I'm totally, I'm totally rebutting what you just said. No, you're not. You're not. What you're saying is totally stupid. Why is it stupid? Totally besides the point. Because they've taken these kinds of things into account. I mean, for instance, we, you know, uh, I think it was Yune uh, Vegetalis, uh, in Brazil, um, you know, there was a question of whether it should be legalized, whether ayahuasca should be allowed to be used uh, in, uh, as, a, as a sacrament in religions. And the question that the scientists, uh, you know, looked at, you know, when they did research on the population that was using ayahuasca in these religions was not, did they suddenly believe a bunch of shit? You know, it, it was, you know, was it having a good effect on their lives? And they found that the people who were in these religions were, you know, were, you know, better you know, parents, you know, weren't, you know, the men weren't beating their wives, they were, they were, they were doing better in their careers. So by every factor, you know, that one could measure externally, there was actually, you know, improvement. And, and then also, you know, when- Wait, when well, you, wait, hold on, if you're gonna cut me off, I'll cut you off. Wait, 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 no, 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 cut anybody off. Nobody, hold on, nobody cut anybody off. Daniel, you go. Scientists, you know, in that way, it's totally stupid because a lot of the people who are doing these studies are extremely sensitive, extremely intelligent, who, you know, have had the experience themselves, you know, and you could just go and look, look at who's doing it at Imperial College, you know, go do some research. I know to me, it sounds like you got infected by a very dogmatic perspective where you wanted to see everything through this negative lens, which no. is fine, but it's not very interesting as an actual discussion. Okay, well, to respond to what you just said, I have to respond to that. So the thing is, if, you know, I, I don't want to make it a personal thing, but if you look into any group that promotes literally anything from religions to cults to good groups to bad groups, they all demonstrate exactly what you just said. You can go to a Mormon group and find a hundred guys who are like, yeah, I was an alcoholic beating my wife and then I became Mormon and I stopped doing that. That doesn't, that's not a case for Mormonism. That doesn't mean that Mormonism is true or good. That happens with any belief set or any practice people adopt that's of a spiritual nature. So that's totally discount. The point is, Owen, that there's nothing from an inner perspective that will change your mind. And there's nothing from an outer perspective that will change your mind. I think that you need to- Hold on, hold on, hold on, everybody, everybody. You have a belief. 
please, please, belief, everybody, I, I need to speak. I need to speak, everybody, please. Okay, so as the mediator here, <laughs> what I would propose, and I appreciate everybody doing this, what I would propose is, Daniel, you're talking about these studies in order to know whether it's just some people selecting some things here and there versus something much more tremendous. How many people were tallied in all these things? How many people that we can actually look up were tallied to say, okay, these people, they were living, you know, awful lives, they were beating their wives, they were beating their kids, and then they had this transformative experience, and we were able to to track this many people through this amount of time and we notice that there has been a tremendous effect as far as you know there weren't complaints anymore and everybody was you know seeing that they are acting better like can these things be tracked in that very uh you know but also is, way? is there not a question of like consenting to the very like you know scientism materialistic structures that have for up until relatively recently, totally excluded these experiences out of the question. I mean, it seems that this quest to get science to validate inner experiences of the entheogenic nature is almost, in my mind, like defeating the point. And, and another point would be that in terms of a radical political project, and especially when it comes to the environment, I mean, I don't know. I mean, there was this one clip I was watching in preparation for the stream. I think it was you and Russell Brandt where you were talking about how world leaders taking these drugs and how it could change things. I mean, maybe I'm just too cynical, but I don't see like the Silicon Valley, like tech mogul that goes to the Amazon base and does ayahuasca. They're suddenly going to work to overthrow the very machinery that's made them into um, omnipotent people that can control literally the discourse. I mean, just before we get too far, because we are going down interesting roads, but you know, mm. it doesn't need to be personal, but What's the response to what I just said about the data points? I can find a hundred guys. Yeah, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Let me finish. Let me finish. I can find a hundred guys who will tell you that they became Catholic and they stopped getting drunk all the time and they have great wives now and they had kids and it's all because of Catholicism. In your worldview, that's not an argument for Catholicism being good or valid or, tr or true, is it? So, Owen, all I'm pointing out is that you've created a way of structuring You your can't life. answer my question. You can't answer wait, the wait, question wait. No, no, because dude, it would dismantle dude, what you're saying. Owen, please, oh, let, let Daniel respond. Okay. You've, you've constructed a discourse that is totally, like, um, deterministic. You know, so if I say that, you know, the inner, the inner experience was reported on as being positive, if I say that people reported on their happiness being higher, if I say that people felt that their openness to new experience was a positive thing, you have a reason to put that down. If I'm I not putting it, it down. I'm saying every okay, group has that. Finish by every group has yeah, yeah, yeah. Let him finish. I'm gonna yeah, fucking okay, get okay. off this fucking boring fucking conversation. All right. Um, guys, as somebody with actual diagnosed PTSD, when you guys argue and shit, like it actually yeah. triggers that. Like mm -hmm. for real, I will throw up on stream. Yeah, guys, there is no reason so. to argue here. I mean, look. Well, I at mean, the end of the day, who cares if we're thinking? It, no, no. Who cares if we're <laughs> thinking about these in a different way? Like Daniel Owen, I really don't give a shit that there's like disagreements between how you see these things. Well, let's there's just go no on. Let's go on to these other these other subjects that Geo just raised, and we can forget about this whole. This well, one one last thing that I want to ask you there, Daniel, just for my own personal curiosity when it comes to the actual statistics the actual numbers how many people uh, from your understanding um, am I, am, do you think that i'm a statistician do you think that i'm sitting around as a scientist well more like, more or less like yeah. lo so, looking so, at these you know, things? The government of brazil which was yeah. against using ayahuasca allowing people to use it as a sacrament then made it legal for these different religions to use it after you know a huge amount of data was compiled if you want to go and go back and look at that you feel free to do that I don't have time for it, but I, I did actually, we did explore it a little bit um, in a book, uh, When Plants Dream, I, that I wrote with an anthropologist uh, about the history of ayahuasca.
Well, that's great. I mean, that's kind of what I was looking for, that it is like a very significant large amount of data, and that's important to have. I'm definitely with you there, Daniel. But so, let's uh, get away yes. from the data points experience. I think maybe yes. we should go on to other... Yes. Somebody in the chat is accusing me of not being able to handle the heat. No. <laughs> yeah, but with the chat, no, yeah, but don't worry, the chat, the chat loves you, Alexander. Don't worry. The chat. They, they think but... you're, they, you are BTR's quirked up shoddy, so don't worry. About that. Oh. Well, what was I talking about? Something about capitalism? Oh, yeah. So the guy in mind. Okay. So we have this, we have this sort of mechanism or, or social technology that allows for, um, what would you say integration into ecological consciousness what will be the next sort of step as to bring that to these greater systems that are you know really doing damage to just the sustainability of our planet as a whole i guess you could say like like how does the micro translate to the macro in other words i mean uh i i wish i knew geo i mean you know if, if i was to lay out in it i would say that you know we're going to see like you know some serious breakdowns. Um, I mean, if we look at what's happening, like the Amazon rainforest, according to scientists, is, on, is now, you know, emitting carbon rather than sequestering it and is on the verge it's of- It's on fire. What's that? It's on fire. The Amazon is on fire, like almost continuously now. There's barely, like, like it's a fraction of its original size. You know, we can talk about like, ooh, you know, DMT gave me this like ecological consciousness. Well, yeah, and and guess what? Like the ecology of the Amazon is almost like fucking ruined. And there's greater- Global tragedy, global. You know, I think if anybody like is interested in psychedelics and, and, and expansion of consciousness, like preserving what remains of the Amazon should be like a top priority. And that, you know, don't fucking buy anything with palm oil in it. You know, like you have to be really conscientious of that. What's with palm oil? Can you read palm, oil, palm um, oil? So they have oil to, comes from the trees and they yeah. To... Also, beef. If you get a, a burger from McDonald's, you're contributing to the destruction of the Amazon rainforest. Mm. You know, one of the, some of the best things you can do is like be really restrictive in your meat intake um, and also you know avoid palm oil at all costs because palm oil they have to basically burn down you know native wildlife and replace it with palm oil trees and that's why orangutans are going extinct you know so if we really care about expanding humanity's mass consciousness and stuff like we also have to really concentrate on preserving the natural habitat of you know these plants and animals yeah, no alexander that, that's great i mean i mean you know i think that the palm oil is actually indonesia uh, the, the big con contributor to the Amazon deforestation is uh, soybean plantations for cattle, um, uh, among other things. Um, yeah, so um, so yeah, we're 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 in this place where um, you know we don't know our individual actions. Yes, you can stop eating meat or pump, taking palm oil or whatever, but how does that stop this juggernaut of destruction? Well, uh, I mean, don't call it a juggernaut because that's a defeatist attitude. Um, it's, it's really about spreading the message and also like providing an example to others, you know, you don't need to like prophesize about like, you know, what my, my actions are like, but you know, you just do it, you just do it and you don't think about it because it's something and you know, it, you can be an activist, you can be whatever you want to be, but like, just, you know, it has, it's sort of part and parcel with like what's happening. If you want to be an advocate for psychedelic research and psychedelic, you know, uh, use, you also need to be very much like aware of the destruction of the Amazon rainforest and all that. Mm. On and the honestly, note of yeah. uh, positive benefits and the research that's going on, I just wanted to add that there's that really interesting one. It's a Vancouver company funding uh, a tr trials in, um, I guess at Imperial. 
um, that's giving stroke victims DMT a microdose of it 24 to 48 hours hours after they have a stroke to like repair the brain as fast they can and really you know heal as fast as they can and I just found that really fascinating and I wanted to put it in before but I don't know how to speak up so that's me I and mean, I'm good Thanks. that's awesome thank you <laughs> thank you that is cool. um, yeah no the Imperial College stuff is amazing and there's also um some research, of, you know, David Luke is a really interesting um, uh, parapsychologist, scientist who's studying uh, kind of psychedelics and psychic phenomena, um, which I, I think is a very interesting thing to look at. I just put on the little chat here, uh, Lev, but you can also add it to the big chat. This is a, um, this guy contacted me recently who developed a plan for, you know, reversing the destruction of the Amazon and, and saving it. And I really, and we did a, a call with him. I mean, you can have him on your show if you want. Uh, we did a call with him, and it, I think it's a great plan. I mean, part of it is um, making the indigenous people, you know, giving giving them sort of stewardship rights over the Amazon. You have to do a retraining program. There's like 25 million people who live in the Amazon basin. A lot of them are working in the extraction industries. Um, you know, so um, it's a it's it's a it, you know he he did a really interesting job in giving a full spectrum uh, idea of how, of how it could be returned. You know, kind of reversed. I mean, that's great. I think that these are really positive things that uh, psychedelics can also bring about. But I am curious from like the perspective, let's say in uh, Soviet Russia, my parents were part of the uh, underground like dissidents, I guess you could say. And there were people in their lives who really got into psychedelics a lot. And again, like these are just personal stories. I'm not saying that this is everybody. But one thing, uh, the perspective that my parents personally had when experiencing the lives of a lot of these people is that they saw it in a way, psychedelics uh, for the people around them, as a spiritual crutch. In a way that they were so used to having this thing that brought them into this uh, place that it's like they were able to get through the door by, by slamming it with a sledgehammer as opposed to having it gently open up for them when they themselves have enough of a willpower to be ready to experience it. So my other concern has nothing to do with, you know, medical data or anything like that. It purely has to do with, are human beings foregoing the experience of training their own willpower to get to a certain spiritual state if they're just, uh, you know, prying the door open uh, by the use of another substance? Yeah, there actually is a really relevant theological concept that I feel like I should mention. Someone mentioned Sarah from Rose before. I think someone brought it up in the chat or something. But it's interesting you mentioned from Russia because there is a concept in Eastern theology, like in Orthodoxy, that we don't really have in Western theology, and it's called prelest. Prelest, which actually means cuteness. That's another way you could say it. But yeah. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, it's, it is spiritual delusion it's like false aggrandizement of the ego via spirituality and it's like a perversion of religion and spirituality and i think that's an interesting layer to add on to everything else because i think that on some level we have to recognize that we are humans that have a negative nature in a way we have a positive nature and a negative nature but things that feed our ego things that make us like well i know more about this i'm this special person i have access to x y and z things that feed our ego are inherently dangerous so not that it, that makes it good or bad but that is something that i think is interesting to be aware of in terms of everything we're talking about i mean i am curious like uh, daniel do you see this aspect of this uh, prelist as uh, Owen talked about being present within the world of psychedelics and uh, would there be anything to what I just mentioned as far as this uh, prying open effect and not exercising one's willpower that that would have a negative effect down the road, maybe not even in one life, but maybe in the lives to come if you believe in reincarnation. 
Uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of you know, good evidence for reincarnation. If you look at the work of somebody like Ian Stevenson, uh, who wrote a book called uh, Professor, wrote a book where biology and reincarnation intersect. We went all around the world looking at uh, early, uh, you know, ch child, child, children who had early life, you know, past life recall of a past life. They would actually bring them back and, and, you know, to the families and so on that they've been part of the past life. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, life is you know, challenging and dangerous. You know, like you go out of the house, you get hit by a car, I've been living in Tulum, there are cartels, you know, shooting people, you know, and, and you know, that, the fact is we, life is, is short, transitory, fragile, dangerous. And, you know, we all have to make choices based on the opportunities we have, um, you know, and, um, you know, unless we lived in, you know, Tibet a couple centuries ago and were monks and had the opportunity to spend our lives trying to reach enlightenment or developing the rainbow body, you know, which maybe a few people are still doing today. You know, we have to take our, you know, Gnosticism, you know, our, 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 our you know, where we can find it. And, you know, for the most, the vast majority of people in my world, you know, without psychedelics, without ayahuasca, without, you know, DMT, without LSD, without psilocybin, life would have been a, a much bleaker, more dismal reality where they would have felt, you know, very little access. See, isn't that the ultimate yeah, challenge though, Daniel? Isn't that the biggest challenge? Like you are under such heavy weight, it's kind of like lifting, you know, much heavier weights than you would otherwise. Thusly, I think the reward is that much more when you're able to, at least from my personal perspective, naturally go about experiencing these various things. And I've started <laughs> meditating yeah. years ago and all that, so. Like this argument has been going on forever. And I mean, for a while, for a long time, you know, I mean, when I was, you know, back in the reality sandwich days, the, the Buddhist community, you know, the meditative community was very against psychedelics. But, but frankly, when I interacted with the Buddhist community, the meditation community, I didn't really feel they had anything up uh, or the yoga community on the psychedelic community. I mean, it's different, you know, I mean, psychedelics are, are a hardcore path of initiation and actually it requires a lot of will to like sit in a peyote ceremony. The peyote, peyote, for instance, is all about the will. You know, it's not necessarily having like, tremendous visions, but you have to sit straight up and stare at the fire and pray and, and sing, you know, ayahuasca also in, in, in some ceremonies. So, you know, a, a lot of these, I mean, the Santo Daime, the, one of the religions from Brazil, you know, you sing all night, you dance back and forth. I mean, you know, they're actually, you know, in, in, in the, these kind of, you know, shamanic contexts, developing the will is actually part of, of, the, of, the, of the practice. But, but don't you think like there, there was cases, I think Owen brought this up last time, where they gave psychedelics to Tibetan monks and they uh, didn't experience, they, they didn't think as highly of it. Do you think that this sort of, um, this need to go into it to sort of like, not necessarily cast aside, but to maybe discredit these much older wisdom traditions, such as Vajrayana Buddhism or so forth. Ooh, I, you, I say, whoa, 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 time out. I don't discredit. I think Vajrayana Buddhism is absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, but I mean, we grew up in that context, and most of us are not spending, you know, year, years having those type of meditative experiences. You know. And then another point would be just about the the. It seems that in the West we live a very like individualistic, deracinated, like rootless, like. What does deracinated? What does deracinated mean? You like to use these big words. <laughs> well, like you, like without context, without roots, we seem to be dislocated from our sense of purpose and history and yeah, families. Totally. And, and, but then how then would we reintegrate these rituals and these contexts and these sort of these cultures that grew over thousands of years? It seems that that's the quest to 
bring these into modernity? Or do you think that the way well, that... You know, I, I kind of answered this before. I mean, I, I said that, you know, starting in the 50s, 60s, when we rediscovered the entheogens, we've been on a voyage of collective shamanic initiation, you know, as, as a modern you know, civilization. And it's a, new, it's a new situation. We don't know where it's going. I mean, when you're in initiation to liminal state, it couldn't end up with total destruction. It couldn't end up with an, you know transcendent evolutionary thing happening. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it, it could totally, you know, go to hell. Uh, I mean, it definitely looks, you know, fairly close to hell, you know, these days. Uh, and what do you think of collapse? Do you think, do you welcome collapse like some kind of Linkola Kaczynskiite or do you think that collapse is like not something we should avoid. I mean, or is it well, I, mean, I mean, you know, look, read, look at my book, How Soon Is Now, which took me like eight or nine years to write. I mean, I, I you know, I think that, uh, you know, we should come from a position of empathy and compassion. And, um, you know, we know, we know that the ecological uh, catastrophes are, you know, disproportionately affecting, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the poor and the underprivileged. And, um, you know, um, so, you know, the, the right thing would be for, you know, those societies that have, you know, that have tremendous uh, wealth and excess and privilege like our own, you know, we, we should be seeking to right the balance. And, you know, I mean, in theory, you could re resettle, you know, I mean, in how soon is now, I, I found this research that you could resettle the whole population of the earth in an area the size of Texas, and everybody would have room for like a backyard, you know, every family would have room for a little backyard, you know, garden. So, you know, the, the, the problem is not the, the amount of resources up till now. I mean, we're still producing more food than the world can eat. It's the inexcessive use of resources, and it's actually the lifestyle of the rich world, the rich 1% that use, that use up, that hog a lot of the resources. You know, well, to, uh, to, go back, to go back to Russia, though, for a little bit, this sounds very, you know, very much like an ideal that a lot of Russians back in the day were thinking, you know, what if this would happen to us? Not just Russians, Germans and uh, the various people were thinking about communism as being this ideal to achieve. And look at what ended up happening. I mean, my biggest concern here has to do it has to go back to those pillars of severity and mercy that is found in various mystery schools. And I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people with money to spend who go to Burning Man and engage in psychedelics, that my concern is that they're so far on the pillar of mercy that they are going to be run over by somebody who's going to take advantage of them. Somebody who's going to be very charismatic is going to tell them how we can organize this great new society. And they will just think, well, they're the best things in sliced bread. Of course, we're going to follow them. Like, how do we make sure that people are going to be sober minded enough not to follow somebody who may come about like that? You mean the Antichrist? That's that. You're maybe, basically well, talking I, about I, the Antichrist. I didn't say that you did. You just look like uh, a six 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 on their forehead. Duh! It usually glows. You know, come on. Yes. Well, yes. What, you're, what you're describing is part of what I think is like the Trojan horse or dangerous element lurking in a lot of these spiritual systems. Because when you put all your chips on an ideal like you're describing, sometimes when you hit reality, it's really, really, really hard. And that's part of what I was getting at before, where when you ask someone about their beliefs or things like that, that they're not necessarily equipped themselves to know how that's going to play out long term. I mean, everyone probably knows someone who's adopted a belief and then it's made their life way better. But sometimes those beliefs aren't true. And when you fall off that horse after mm. X months or a year, sometimes it gets pretty rough. Of course. I mean, like cognitive dissonance is it feels bad. It's not a pleasant experience, but it's ne necessary one. We all need but, to experience it in order to grow but intellectually that's why and morally at, and spiritually. 
But that's why I'm looking for the middle pillar here, if we are talking about these Mystery School, spil uh, mystery school uh, pillars. Because, Daniel, I think it is incredibly important, and I'm absolutely grateful that you are here right now speaking with us. The fact that there is a clash, the fact that there is a disagreement, what could be better than that? Because if we're talking about you being at Burning Man, or me being somewhere else, or Owen being somewhere else, and if we're just talking with the same group of people about the same stuff, everybody's nodding their heads, like, yes, that gets boring and it's stupid because nothing gets accomplished at the end of the day. We don't get to grow as people, and I think all of us here are eternal students. I think you're a student, Daniel. I think you're a student, Owen. I'm not going to say anybody here has made it to say also, that, okay, I know everything. Also, shout out to the chat, I hate the Antichrist as well. Yes, <laughs> yes. So, but th that being said what would you say daniel would be a good middle pillar here to be able to retain a sense of perspective for people who you know maybe completely with their heads in the clouds uh like what would be a good way to go about this that at the same time people do look forward to creating something better than what came before uh i mean you know, once again there's a huge amount to unpack there and, and you know burning man itself has many different constituents you know including you know the silicon valley um you know kind of um rulers of the universe that, that Geo mentioned, you know, and, you know, still, you know, some more kind of like Northern Cali hippies, Canadian, you know, um, commune dwellers and so on. But, um, uh, From Vancouver Island, I'm assuming. So. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I, what I, what I tried to do in, in How Soon Is Now was kind of look at the different aspects of, of the types of changes that would have to happen uh, in terms of the, you know, like tech, the technical side of it, like we basically know, you know, what we would have to do to, um, you know, uh, you know, deal with the fact that our industrial farming is leaching all the, you know, topsoil of life. And, and the UN says that in like 60 years, we won't have any harvests because the topsoil would be dead. Also, the bees are dying. You don't forget about that. Yeah. No more pollinators. Because of all sorts of reasons, GMOs, maybe even uh, like electrical, you know, satellite systems and so on. But um, yeah, so, so we know in every area that, you know, we would have to go back towards regenerative farming practices on a global scale. We'd have to actually retrain people in large quantities. To, we'd have to break up the industrial farming. I mean, there's a great uh, documentary called The Biggest Little Farm. Uh, it shows this couple from uh, Hollywood who were in the media and they got sick of the media and they decided to buy an, an abandoned kind of industrial farm that was totally dead uh, land. And they worked with a permaculture designer and in six years, the land totally came back to life, like all the animals and the insects came back and, and the whole thing just, just flourished. So that, that is feasible, it's possible, but, but to do that, we would have to retrain, you know, there has to be a movement in that direction. It's basically over the last two centuries, you know, this whole ideology of modernism formed in the, with a very one dimensional idea of progress. So progress means, you know, you're, you're, you have a boring life in the countryside, you know, you move to the city, you have an exciting life, you as an Uber driver, or you work in marketing, or, you know, you're Horatio Alger, you try to climb this ladder of success, then, you know, we now know that none of that is functioning, right? Like there isn't, um, you know, the, I mean, you know, Princeton has analyzed that the U.S. is a functional oligarchy now, you know, money, money, you know, 93%, 93 cents of every dollar of value created goes to the top, like 1% or less. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and the billionaires profited, you know, massively, you know, over the last year uh, during this pandemic. So you oh, think uh, I'm so happy this is like conversation is happening on the street. <laughs> so do you think, are you in agreement then with people like um, James Howard Kunstler who talks about how uh, our way of life, I think he, I do think he was talking about this in the Hermetics podcast, by the way, shout out to our friend Meta Nomad. Um, he's he's going to be on Sunday with yeah, me at the left stream where I'm going to be drawing my NFTs. He talked about how, um, basically our way of life would change to the point where 
long-term travel would become improbable or people would have like the way that people would structure their life around wage slavery essentially would have to change because people would need an extra amount of time to actually grow their own food then supplement it with whatever income they have Mm. I feel like that's sort of like almost happy poverty is either by necessity by some calamity or I think maybe people would start to voluntarily choose to escape like the big urbanite existence of wage slavery and so forth but then I mean the the, the limitations always that people in, in terms of just skill of actually growing their own food. I mean that, you know, I have a garden because of course I'm Italian. So yeah. it's, and you have pigeons yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. You can well, hook those pigeons later. Well, we had to get rid of the pigeons because of the hawk in our area, but uh, oh. no, but that's, I mean, I think that's a big, could be a, a viable solution, but it's just the question of, you know, if, if there's going to be laws created to limit people from, do, I mean, there is laws that limit people from having mm. their own animals and gardens and so forth. And I mean, I don't know why, maybe, maybe the whole agenda 21, agenda 2030 thing is. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about so many things. I'm beginning to lose the thread a little yeah. bit. No, uh-huh. but I guess how would, how would you have a practical approach? I guess you could say to like, would you say that we need a total restructuring of our way of life? Yeah. We basically need a total restructuring of our way of life. Uh, and that, that's what I kind of looked at it. How soon is now we have to, I mean, you know, it's, you know, Biden is now calling for, you know, more reductions on CO2, um, you know, which is okay, but actually we need, you know, way, way more. I mean, the Paris Accords were, were, were a travesty, you know, compared to what we're learning about what's happening to the ecosystems of the planet. I mean, the oceans are, um, you know, uh, I think they're 30% more acidic than they were 40 years ago, the entire body of the ocean, because the oceans are, absorb something like 50% of the CO2 or, or, some, or you know, 40 to 60% of the CO2 that we're emitting. We emit a million tons of CO2 per hour. That's leading to a, to a breakdown of the coral reefs, which shelter ocean biodiversity. So the whole ocean you know, ecosystem may just collapse on us. And there's a movie, Sea Spiracy, which goes into what's happening to the, to the fish populations and so on. And we so, can't replace these things with synthetic structures. We can't. They're just yeah. too complex. They're too interrelated. We cannot. Well, humanity will perish fully. Well, well, in the in, in the chat, we we had a request asking about uh, what do you think of uh, Klaus Schwab's The Great Reset. Have you gotten a chance to yeah, uh, take a look at it? And I actually wrote a short book. Well, I didn't really address uh, Schwab so much directly, but yeah, I've been directing it, uh, discussing it in, in our essays on my newsletter. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, the, the Great Reset is the uh, the technocratic uh, you know control elite. Kind of the integration of uh, government uh, elites, uh, financial elites, and tech elites, and now biotech also coming together to try to pr- impose a, a totalitarian control agenda on the human population. You know, so you're not not a fan. No, I mean, I mean, I think that uh, what we need is a uh, you know decentralization, uh, bioregional, you know, local power, um, you know, local you know alternative you know currencies, and I think there's still some hope in, in blockchain and the crypto world. Yeah. Uh, if we could actually create you know, alternative mediums of exchange and have different uh, values like embedded in them. And I honestly think like without any, uh, like regardless of any other disagreements, like Owen, I think you would agree with Daniel on those points, as well as like the uh, small family farm type of an ideal, which I would like to maybe in well, the future Owen's have a farm moved as well. from New York to, uh, to a more rural yeah. place. So. Like yeah. Owen, would you say like you, you would agree with uh, those uh, points that Daniel brought up? Uh, in general, that stuff is good. Yeah, it's kind of far off the topic of psychedelics, but I'm very skeptical of like the power structures actually having people's best interest in mind when they claim to do things addressing like X, Y, and Z. Yeah, but, well, Dan- yeah, Daniel does yeah. too. I mean, Daniel, you oh, yeah, yeah, well, no, no, but let, yeah, let yeah, one totally, finish. Yeah. I mean, let's yeah. maybe, well, yeah. and you, you have experience with uh, 
with uh, our friend uh, Uncle Ted. So uh, what would you say? How, how do you say the future is shaping up in terms of um, food production and all of these different things? And even just if a conscious revolution is even possible anymore at this point, or if people are going to like, like even things like blockchain, what do you see going on with that even? Or if that, that is related to what we're talking about generally with expanding our minds and so forth. I mean, there's people that thought that, tech, that the internet itself was going to be a psychedelic mechanism. <laughs> I no mean, way. <laughs> yeah. But no, the internet you numbs you out. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a really big question. If you mean conscious revol- consciousness revolution, like from the ground up, people will kind of like figure it out. Um, For me, it always comes back to worldview because all of these problems and all these situations are always gonna be interpreted in terms of a larger worldview. And as much as people go through their own personal growth, I think that what I actually see when I look out my own window is that the dominant worldview is just getting stronger and containing more and more people in it and making it harder to step outside of it and making it harder for people to look at their own worldview with like a metal lens. So I don't know. I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic. It's not exactly what you asked me, but uh, for me, yeah. I mean, I don't know how I see the larger worldview that contains all of it changing. And that would be what really has to happen. Yeah, but the thing we do know about human culture is it can change very quickly. Uh, you know, as we just learned from the coronavirus and how quickly people adapt, you know, new behaviors, new understandings, you know, the Industrial Revolution showed us that. We can look at the uh, Marshall Plan in the Second World War. So we do know that, that human culture is capable of rapid uh, change and adaptation. Uh, and um, yeah, you would need to have a, 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 you know, a small, you know, sort circle, you know, some small circle of people who actually were holding, you know, a new vision for humanity. And then they would have to use you know, traditional tools like media, like art, like storytelling, like music to, to propagate like a, you know, an alternative model. Uh, and that could be, and that could actually be uh, backed up by, uh, you know, blockchain based systems for a direct democracy, you know, from, from the local to the planetary level, uh, as well as uh, ways to exchange uh, value that um, don't support, you know, the, the military industrial complex and the fossil fuel industry. Well, you mentioned art, but maybe we could talk about that as a contentious issue. What do you, I mean, most of us, well, all of us are artists here in some ways, but do you, the, the role of art and just, I guess, general psychedelic culture is very strong, but I, I sort of, and I was very influenced by artists like Venosa and Gray and so forth, but do you feel, I mean, for, I mean, in general, I'd also love to hear Owen's thoughts in particular, but um, this sort of the, the, particular style around psychedelic art and art production i mean i would like to see everyone's personal experiences but it seems to me that we've really hit somewhat of a roadblock because as there is sort of like a cultural acceptance i mean alex gray doing like Ten Thousand days for instance i i don't know it seems that it's less of an art form but it's more of like a how would you say um a cartography of experience because a lot of these artists they'll take these substances and they'll try to paint or create digital imagery that is similar to their experience and so i wonder if like the same forces of kitsch are like present present in like psychedelic art or if like it truly is like a revolutionary art form that is being produced <laughs> by the psychedelic experience i mean i don't know i mean well this well, one was produced by yeah. my psychedelic experience yeah and everybody's psychedelic experience is different 
So mm. we can't, oh, we and can't... also Pineal Colada. Now is the time to promote your work as well. So uh, make sure you go to her store. I'm going to link it right here in the chat. But uh, yeah, that is a good question. I mean, yeah, I... just linked. I won the Maps Canada oh. 2021 oh. um, Bicycle Day art contest, and they put my nice. art on the shirt. Oh, so nice. oh cute. Added Check with that it. out. The white looks great. Yeah, that is. You're beautiful. also a leaf, I take it? Yes. Oh, but you're on a bird. Yeah, I'm in Ontario, unfortunately, but that's. Uh, uh. Gio, when are you coming to New York? Well, I don't know. When will Doug Ford let me come to New yeah. York? That's the question. So. Mm. Um, so anyway, back to the uh, back to the art question. I don't, I don't know if I understood the question. Well, where, yeah. where do you see the future of psychedelic art? Do you think that it still has sort of a subversive potential in culture? Uh, the future of psychedelic art. Uh, yeah, I mean, I do. I mean, I think like, uh, you know, like my, my favorite movie is Holy Mountain, you know, by Jodorowsky. Mm. Geo's too. Yeah. yeah. You met Jodorowsky, didn't you? I watched that back in the day. Yeah, we did a little documentary together. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, art in general has a, you know, it's always very powerful potential to transform consciousness in different ways. You know, use, you know so I mean, I'm not quite sure what the question is beyond that. Um, and yeah, I mean, Alex Gray is almost like... Um, you know, he, you know, he, he, he wants to create a church and, and there, there is a kind of like, you know, um, codifying kind of uh, instinct, you know, in his work, like he paints sort of almost like painting the relics of the saints, like he paints like hagiographic portraits of like Albert Hoffman or Shulgin or something, you know, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, that's just, you know, his way of approaching it, you know. But that uh, brings me to another question that I'm happy you uh, ignited within me right now, Daniel, which is something that I asked on our uh, first show together, and I want to ask it again to maybe elucidate a little bit better what I mean. So when Alex Gray or when you have these psychedelic experiences and you see these various entities, what would you say is the experience of that actual world that you are in as far as uh, how you would be able to break it down if you were let's say to take a microscope in that world and zoom in on the uh you know the cell the skin and the cells of whatever entity you were looking at would it just be composed of light or would it be similar to let's say the experience of us looking at ourselves with all this skin and flesh and meat and blood and bones you know because I'm very curious, and I don't know I asked this before, but I'm just very curious in the architecture and the components of this astral realm, the psychedelic realm, this realm of thought, whatever you want to call it. What is it made up of, and would it work in a similar way to uh, ours? Um, you know, I mean, here you're getting into, like, you know, I, I, could, I would just have to hypothesize. These are the same ideas that I discussed, you know, in the books. I mean, uh, you know, if, if there are, you know, higher dimensions, like if we're, you know, if this is the fourth dimension, then there's like a sixth dimension, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth dimension, you know, it's on, only in this dimension that you can have, you know, this type of physical materiality, you can't have a knock in, in like a higher dimension. So whatever exists there as a kind of aggregate of consciousness or, or self-awareness exists in a totally different way than, than we do here. Um, you know, one way to think about it is like, um, you know, without, um, you know, for us to have consciousness in, in, a, in, a, in a physical, you know, universe, you know, we have to have a you know, planet, we have to have a mineral layer, we have to have a sun, we have to have, you know, biology, we have to have cells, you know, we have to have chemistry. And, you know, all those things are necessary for us to have consciousness. 
you know, but maybe our, you know, maybe maybe consciousness is then the lowest uh, level ground for something else, you know, uh, some other emergent property of, of the universe, and and these other types of beings uh, exist in, in in levels of consciousness or dimensions of consciousness in, in ways that we can't quite understand yet, because it's a little outside of our our, our understanding. Well, people have attempted to understand, and uh, do you look at it personally more from this Plato's theory of forms type of view that first came the idea, and from the idea came the forms, or uh, vice versa, or something completely different? Well, I mean, if these things are in these higher dimensions, then they're also experiencing temporality, or there, there's a different form of temporality. I mean, um, um, they may only be able to experience themselves as being uh, when they are in a communication or dialogue or when they're able to enter the consciousness of, of, of a being like ourselves that's materialized in this universe. And uh, Owen, what say you as far as your conception of the universe? I mean, regardless of... Uh, well, also, uh, I was going to yeah. ask Owen, like, your, your art is very much inspired by visionary art trends. I mean, yeah. you, you combine, like we've talked about this, <laughs> you combine like illustration, medieval illustration, like the Book of Kells with images and words, and you have a very succinct comic style. So do you, were you influenced by people like Alex Gray or Vinoza or how did that? It's a good question, man. Um, a little bit easier to answer than explicating my entire view of like the physical and super physical universe. All um, right, yeah. all right. Fine. No, no, I, I could. No, I'm just joking. Um, but yeah, the psychedelic art thing, I do have something to say about that. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I was directly influenced by those guys, but I did really like Alex Gray for a while. Not to say that I don't like him now. I mean, he's a really great artist, obviously. Um, I went up to Cosm where he has like Chapel of the Sacred Mirrors going on. I met him once, but he wouldn't remember me. We were just like at a party. Uh, so his art is really, really great. I think he really is like the ultimate axis mundi of a whole world of psychedelic art, right? I mean, he really quints Starting with embodies, and, yeah. yeah, he embodies that style really, really awesomely. Um, I wouldn't say I was influenced by the like actual visual nature of a lot of that stuff. For me, a big piece of the puzzle at the time was a book called Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley, oh, because at the time- yeah, it's a cool book. Uh, at the time, I was really into drugs and I was really into religion and I was really into art. And that book basically told me, you know, oh, hey, these are all one thing. These are all yeah. different aspects of this thing called the visionary experience. And that's what unites all these things together. And that really was my like modus operandi, operandi for a long time. Um, but I wouldn't say I was influenced by the actual visual nature of it so much as so as like what it's supposed to do. I think that's why I poured it over really easily to sacred art because what the art is supposed to do in terms of generating a state of mind in someone or carrying ideas or imparting spiritual knowledge even, that really is what's interesting for me about art in general. So influence, yeah, in a maybe indirect way. Um, I think that your question about psychedelic art being revolutionary or potentially subversive is really interesting because for me, it's difficult to imagine the strictly psychedelic art being subversive right now at this time. I mean, if you walked into, you know, like an Urban Outfitters or a Hot Topic or something and you looked over on the wall, it's interesting to try and imagine what would be there that would be a subversive piece of psychedelic art. Because in my mind, I mean, there could be a shirt that says like, do ayahuasca and i don't think there would be like a protest or no one would really get mad about it right i feel like that's pretty much but i guess absorbed. subversive i mean on a more intimate level even like would it inspire people to do to like go out and have ex like more sacred experiences 
or or would uh like because the art world they totally despise that type of like illustrative mm. type of art so well i was just gonna say the the interesting thing for me is it kind of comes back to what we were talking before about yeah worldview and the general social worldview and all of that because if i think of a subversive psychedelic experience really only one comes up honestly that i can think of recently in terms of anyone pop culture he's not really popular like in terms of normal people but roosh who used to be like pickup artist i write uh, books about how to have casual sex with uh, bang brazil took, yeah. took uh, mushrooms. Bang yeah he took mushrooms and then he was like oh actually casual sex is really bad and i'm gonna turn my whole life around and talk about how people shouldn't be doing this and all that stuff to I mean, me, that's infinitely more subversive than yeah. anything else I can really think of because it goes against the grain of what people are being told. Well, but that, that's I mean, also to Dan isn't Dan, bad. That's but, but that's also to Daniel's <laughs> point. I mean, Owen, you're showing an example of Daniel being right. So well, I, I don't I don't think Daniel would want to be right in this particular instance with Rouge V, though. I don't <laughs> no, know. no, why not? It's great. I mean, Daniel, <laughs> we had this guy who was this, uh, you know, severe pickup artist who took mushrooms and then his life transformed. Then he started attending church. So when we were talking before about, you know, like, you know, what about the people who, you know, say that they got these benefits from being Catholic? Of course they did. That's great that they got these benefits. Some people get the benefits that way. Some people get the benefits from taking psychedelics. I see nothing wrong one way or the other the other that's that that's all i'm trying to say here um, i don't know i think it's funny that like he came out against casual sex rather than like rape culture or anything like that you know it's like oh no it's it says that structurally it. it's it's a product of like hookup culture that's mm. no no well uh, Dan daniel you were saying um yeah i mean i you know I, I don't even know how to interpret it, but sure. I mean, uh, if his life got better, if he, if he was living a kind of degraded life, and now he feels that he's living a better life, you know, um, fine. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, mean, I guess the chat, is, the chat doesn't approve of my promiscuity, whatever. No, I, I, I guess <laughs> I don't care. That's I really fine. don't. No, you shouldn't. You are uh, you're, you're great. Uh, Alexandra's great. Uh, I am an Alexandra respecter. And so is everybody <laughs> here now. I really think like when it Boy. comes to a lot of these conversations, it all comes down to, I really think, Owen, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you want the best for general people and well-being and stuff like that. And so does Daniel. So does Alexandra. So does Gio. And so do I. I guess the real contentious thing. Well, I don't thing... want the best. For... No. Okay. Well, okay. Fine. <laughs> I guess the real contentious thing happens with these ideas. Like we just take all these different ideas and say, I am this, I am that. In a way, this could be like the hippiest, dippiest thing that I've said this entire stream, but I really think it's true that we associate ourselves so much with these ideas, with these egoistic things that we're putting on top of ourselves and saying this is me me is all of these ideas that i stand for and maybe it is but the fact that we take it so personally and then we fight about it it's just i don't see the need to like this is kind of what i'm trying to do in btr even though yes yeah, sometimes arguing and fighting is it's kind of fun at the same time like i see much more similarity than i see difference and if there are differences like let's just uh, figure out uh, you know let's try to convince the other one and no reason to uh, you know get things uh, twisted also, into like this the, haze but of also anger. love the nature i think the nature of mysticism if we could leave off i mean just like the the i i think it's in some respects even though i've strayed away from it i mean the psychedelic project being a way of reinvigorating uh people's capacity for mysticism in a disenchanted world or whether or not that's impossible i mean that's always going to be the eternal question so 
like that's probably what we're aiming for like, at the, the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. Yeah. And right now I'm reading a book by this guy, Paul Kudenk, uh, who I just discovered called The Anarchist Revelation. And, um, you know, he really, he, he really analyzes it in, in great depth. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in this kind of like empty world, this kind of groundless world, you know, like, um, you know, capitalism has stripped away uh, so much, you know, from, from our capacity to connect in community, to, you know, understand what the sacred is, you know, and so on. And um, it's tough, you know, we're kind of, we're kind of orphaned in a way. And uh, we don't really necessarily know, you know, how to get back to them. I don't think it's going to be through, you know, Catholicism, you know, I don't think it's it going to be, I mean, I don't think it's going to be through imitating, you know, indigenous people. And, 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 you know, there's a lot of people in, in Tulum and so on who are just wearing kind of indigenous fabrics and going to Brazil and then, you know, former tech entrepreneurs who now want to join, like, you know, different indigenous tribes. I mean, that also feels kind of, you know, kind of like a fail to me. So, um, so, you know, what, 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 you know, we're in, we're in an emergent space, you know, maybe something will emerge or, or, um, or maybe not, but the book is good. The Anarchist Revol- Revelation by Paul Kudenk. Uh, very interesting. Get a, take a look at it right now. What, what is the sacred in your view? What's that? What is the sacred in your view? That's a great question. Um, it's a really interesting question. I'm just going to let that sit there. I don't know. I'm not going to like rush into an answer, you know, but I mean, I think, you know, you know, life is sacred. Silence is sacred. You know, it's like, um, um, is pain sacred? I mean, um, you know, I, I think it's about a perceptual shift. I mean, like, you know, for me, like the, one of the, um, I mean, I guess great experiences of kind of a sacred world was I, I helped organize uh, two uh, retreats with uh, these uh, indigenous uh, cultures in the Columbia called the Kogi and the Arawak. Uh, the, the Kogi are featured in a film uh, called uh, Elder Brothers Warning to Humanity. Um, they're basically an intact uh, pre-Incan civilization. They wear white. Uh, they, don't, they don't use uh, psychedelics. They, they, do, they do use the, the coca leaf. Um, they, uh, they, the men chew the coca leaf um, a lot, uh, it, but in a very ceremonial way. But basically the, the, the mamos, like the teachers um, of the Kogi and the Arawak, just had incredible dignity and, and you could feel that they were living in the sacred uh, reality. Uh, like with every gesture they made, with every word they, they used, uh, the way, the way they, the way their, you know, even the way their families would position themselves uh, on the ground. Uh, it was really like encountering kind of the Taoist idea of like the, the, the true man of the Tao who lives at the center of the world and, and understands that, you know, they represent the bridge between heaven and earth. Uh, so that was like, for me, like a, you know, an access. What's that? Daniel, do you remember this book you told me about? Of course, I wrote about that book in, at great, in great length in uh, yeah. 2012. I think it's one of the most incredible books of the 20th century. So uh, thanks to you, Daniel, I've been reading and I fully read uh, The Daimon- uh, Daimonic Reality by Patrick Harper. That's I always tell people master- about that book. Incredible masterpiece. Yes. It's amazing. And now I'm reading this one. And it's very interesting when you were talking about these uh, tribes that go through all these uh, various uh, various ordeals, various ceremonies. In a way, if their consciousness and I'm not I'm not them, so I can't really speak for them, you know, unless I'm just like observing certain things and taking a guess. But my guess is that they are more in a dream state than we are. They're more in this interconnected dream state. But at the same time, 
I don't, agree. I don't know. Would that be? Well, would you I mean, I'm, I'm thinking immediately of this. Um, that Robert Lawler also wrote a really great book on the Aboriginal uh, Australian Aboriginals with voices of the first day. And I think one of the stories he tells in that book, or maybe it was in Bruce Chapman's book on the Aboriginals, is like, um, uh, you know, this uh, white, white, white person, you know, anthropologist going to visit the Aboriginals and trying to figure out what they mean by the dreaming. Uh, and um, the Aboriginal pointing to a plane in the sky, and he says, a white man dreaming. Mm. Um, you know, so you could turn it around and actually argue that they're more in touch with the primordial essence of, of, of reality. and We're more in a kind of dream that we think we're going to be satisfied by like certain types of material objects, or consumer goods, or casual sex, or anything. You know, like um, oh, Alexandria, uh oh, oh. What? but the, but the question <laughs> for me comes down to what is this thing, the ego, and has it been as developed, like the sense of let's say an individual self within these communities, as opposed to being developed in us, yeah, where no. we have a lot more problems. We have uh, in terms of you know constantly fretting, constantly worrying about this and that, while they seem well, to be before, much more in this hive mind space. Well, before we get into that, I think uh, Owen, what would you, what would be your view of the sacred? Do you have a? I know we talked about this, but just for clarification, you are um, an Orthodox Christian, or uh, I am just Christian. You mm. could say. Uh, I would say what's sacred are things that are of God. Um, what's of God? I asked that question. Well, we have to figure that out, I guess. Oh, but uh, there, this is it. Well, there is like a. Well, the reason I the reason I asked that is because yeah, I think that part of going through a spiritual endeavor, especially as a group with like a group of people, is like we're very prone to using terms and letting them guide us without actually fleshing out or knowing what those terms mean and in a group of people or in a society especially that can get really dangerous you know if you have 10 people together and they're like we're going to do you know what we want to do is just let's get justice you could have 10 different definitions of justice and then all of a sudden you can have kind of a crazy situation going on um so, so you yeah you'd say the sacred is contextualized within a tradition then that would be the most fundamental point uh, I think everyone's idea of what's sacred is contextualized in a larger worldview. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it has to do with tradition in a sense, but it's almost like for me, it has to do more with, this is just, this is just me personally. This is not like representing anyone else like, like that also shares my worldview, but I think it has to do with parsing out very carefully what we can hold up as sacred and what the goal is sort of like everyone's running and we really have to parse out exactly where we're trying to go because you might meet someone who's like well the sacred is you know um things that are uh you know i really wish i had a fake definition to go with right now but you know things that are things that connect us things that connect people are inherently sacred but like okay people do crimes together and that connects them is that sacred things that are sacred are, are things that happen to us and make us better well like i got in a car accident I guess that made my mind better. Like, was the car accident sacred? You know what I mean? And those well, according questions, to Bataille, you know, doing crimes together could be sacred, but <laughs> yeah, it could be depending on what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of like what I was starting out talking about initially. Like, it entails a larger systemic view, but when that remains fuzzy and not fleshed out, it's just a really interesting situation. And uh, how would you address? Uh... The question that I was uh, not really questioned, but what I was commenting on earlier, this possible evolution, transformation of the ego, where do you see a difference between more of these, uh, you know, various aboriginal tribes versus us as far as their perception versus ours? And again, I can't really go into their head, but as far as what we're able to observe. 
Yeah. Well, I think that the first thing I hit there is that inherently, I think Western people that are spiritually inclined have a presupposition that the ego is inherently bad and that the ego is a pathology in and of itself. Um, that might come from Eastern systems or looking up to X, Y, and Z, I couldn't really say, but that's the first thing I hit there because for me, the ego and the self isn't an inherently bad thing. You know, you actually exist. It's not an illusion. You are an individuated self and there are positive aspects to it. So I think that answering that question entails that because generally, like I said, the presupposition is people come to a group and they're like, wow, look, like these guys are so cool. Like they have no ego. Like they don't even think of themselves as individuals. They just think of themselves as part of the group. And I don't think that's inherently good or bad. And I think that setting that vector in the direction of like, well, how can we get rid of the ego? For me personally, ultimately, I think it's not what you asked me, but I think it is like a failed endeavor because you really do have an ego and you really do actually exist. It's not but an the illusion. Same, but at the yeah. same time, do you think that Western like sort of notions of like objectivity and like ex, ex, externally driven like individualism, you obviously wouldn't, uh, you would see like the downside of that or? Objectivity and... Well, no, no, like the sort of outward looking, like, you know, we have to look outside of ourselves and project our, like, you know, post-enlightenment rationality onto the world sort of deal. Um, it cuts both ways. I'm not, I'm not comfortable saying it's inherently bad. Uh, mm, interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say. I'm gonna it's have to take bad. your trad card right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as far as these various influences that uh, these tribes have, I remember Daniel uh, in uh, 2012. You were writing about your experience with uh, taking. Uh, it was an ayahuasca. It was um, the uh, tree bark, the African tree bark. What was that called? Ibogaine. Ibogaine. Yes, where you were in the iboga ceremony and you saw this uh, stick man. This, uh, this entity who was made out of sticks. And uh, what exactly is the relationship that that tribe had to that particular figure, if you can remember? And in general, how did they perceive the spirit world? Like, do they see it in kind of like this, uh, uh, what was that, uh, Ju the Julian Jaynes version of the bicameral mind, you know, speaking, uh, you know, one hemisphere being the voice of the gods speaking to the other? Like, would they see themselves as being controlled by the gods, basically? Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to jump off in a minute. Actually, I was only going to stay for like an hour and a half, and it's got longer. An hour. And I appreciate so, you being here. So, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to answer that question because I you know kind of answered it in the book, and people can. But I, I do I do want to um, go back to the Aboriginal question. Well, first of all, yeah, but I, I actually agree with Owen that you know it's a, it's a dumb idea to try to get rid of the ego. Uh, the ego exists for a purpose. It's our like lens with which we should you know look at reality. The question is to you know have mastery over your ego. You know, which means to have, you know, some, some, you know, mastery over your shadow material. So you don't project it through the ego. Mm, individuation. Ego is neither good or bad. It's an essential part of our human makeup. As long as we're in physical form, we're going to have an ego. And, and to think that we're just going to get rid of it, or that would be a good thing, is probably a terrible idea. But having said that, it is interesting that, um, you know, we do, we are living in a hyper-individualized society. And, um, you know, things are constructed so that, you know, we all want to have our like selfie moments and, and, you know, be on Instagram and, you know, have our little, you know, five, five minutes of fame or whatever. Um, and a, a nice little story, which maybe I'll, I'll end this, this time with you with is um, from uh, the group of documentary, a group of documentary filmmakers wanted to make a film uh, with an Australian Aboriginal uh, tribe community. And rather than just making the film about them, they decided they would make the film with them. So they uh, went to their community 
And first they showed them all these different uh, entheogenic, uh, sorry, sorry, and, 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 and ethnographic uh, documentaries. And they were like, what do you think of these? You know, how would you like us to make a film with you? And they were like, well, the first thing is we don't want there to be any close-ups. We want, we want the whole community to be visible in every shot. So that's how they shot the film. They did it with a wide angle lens and the whole community was in every shot. So, you know, th th those, those are people like, you know, if, if you were a baby and you were put in an Aboriginal community, you know, you're not genetically different from them very much. You know, you, you would grow up and you would have that same value system. You would even be interested in putting yourself forward. You would believe that the community as a whole was, was the integral unit. You know, mm. so that, well, what, what was the name of the documentary, by the way? I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did see it. Uh, and you might be able to find it through some uh, clever Google searches. But anyway, but anyway, anyway the point is that um, this type of individual subjectivity that in a way, a way we're, we're stuck with and kind of burdened with, um, you know, is, is not the be all and end all. And, and societies can be constructed uh, in different ways. Uh, and, and also, you know, progress, you know, as, as we've defined it, is, is not the be all and end all. It doesn't have to continue in, in a linear, linear form. Mm. We could it rarely does. Yeah, we can decide that we want to break up some of our technologies. We can decide that we want to tear apart some of our roads and, and take down some of the skyscrapers and, and, and live in a different relationship, you know, if we want to. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna leave you guys there and uh, everybody have a great time. And Thank you for coming. Thank life. you so much for coming, Daniel. I really appreciate Thank you, Daniel. Nice let's, get a, let's get a drink next time you're in New York, New York City. Yeah, for sure. I'll be there in May some point. Uh, late. Excellent. Uh, ciao, ciao. All right, brother, take mm -hmm. care. Bye-bye. So, everybody, I really want to thank Daniel Pinchback, okay? All you bastards in the chat that were constantly mogging him, calm the fuck down. He was great. I had a yeah. great time. Lev, I feel like you should have let them fight a bit more. That... Oh, no, because no, I would have thrown no, up. A, I would have yeah. vomited into my wastebasket. Yeah. It's too yeah, much yeah, like masculine energy. Oh, my God. I, kind of, I, wa I really wanted to lean into that, but I didn't want to be rude because it's not my show it's not like i think no i no, think no i feel like mix of, uh, I, I just don't want to be there. disrespectful to you yeah. or or daniel but i feel <laughs> that i mean we could have done more with it it would have I, I feel like we're edging uh but i don't know edging like like a gooner yeah, exactly. I feel maybe we should have leaned into it more, but then I don't know. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, look, Daniel's well, the a masculine I mean, energy. I've, I've Daniel... I mean, Alexandra. Well, maybe that's... I shouldn't call it masculine energy. Whatever. It's whatever triggers maybe, my like, maybe, fight or flight. Maybe you would. Maybe uh, gag reflex. But, but Alexandra, maybe you just need to find a a, a good man in your life. To... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh Gio. oh Gio. Who, who do you have in mind <laughs> i don't know someone um but no this was <laughs> Gio, i want to sit in your lap and feed you cake okay oh god oh my god oh. Oh. Uh, anyways uh, oh and this was great buddy um i <laughs> jesus oh that's right pigeons together Gio. <laughs> <laughs> channeling the marishi um uh, so uh oh and um, you're so red oh, oh god how will i recover how will i recover well we have the bimbo stream next week so that's yeah. going to be fun yes we do um, but uh, owen what do you think of the bimbo question by the way <laughs> I would need clarification on exactly what that is. Well, bim bimbos are many things to many <laughs> different people. Uh, <laughs> um, 
I feel like there's a, a strange turning that's happening in our communities, Owen. I feel like uh, the trad thought thing is a th thing of the past and there are more high IQ uh, women posters that are engaging with uh, far right incels. And it's like, uh, I feel like the whole thing, like just using your sexuality to sell like some cottage core lifestyle that's sort of being thrown into question. I don't know. Like it's God, that's such a 21st century sense. <laughs> yeah, but I understood it. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, right? I mean, of course, we're but... a product of it. We all are. If we're on the stream, especially us, you know, oh, better or worse. <laughs> um, yeah, don't he's married, don't do this to him. Yeah, it's true. Um, <laughs> no, but Owen, I think, yeah, there was a lot of valid criticisms, but I, I, I don't know, I feel like a problem. I've talked about this with my good friend, Matthew, and he's also experiences with this. Uh, I feel like a problem with a lot of like new age people is that they, ironically enough, um, there's an aversion to criticism somewhat. I don't know if I'm saying that. Yeah. Right. Well, it's actually, it's interesting to tie those two things together. Cause like what you were saying, you know, women sort of entering the space to like oversimplify. It's not exactly what you said, but like, mm -hmm. I, I really, I really actually do on, unironically, I, I respect women. You know, I, I cherish women. We are I, women I, respecting I uplift street. women. I really, really do. Um, but I think, but no, but I think that the conflict that you're talking about, like online, you didn't really describe it as a conflict, but it partially comes from, I think that there really is like a very different codified set of like, um, energy playing out for men and women and like it sort yeah. of dovetails with exactly the second thing you asked me which is like yeah like in my, in my mind like I'm down to like take it there you know someone gets mad I mean also it makes me look like a bitch that he left and now I'm like well I'm down to argue so just you know shouting myself out there but yeah you know for guys I think guys are a little bit more used to like oh dude like you called me stupid well like I'm gonna lay out why, why you're stupid and let's take it there like I'm down bro like let's go but then for women in general, I'm generalizing, I think that they feel a lot more of that like conflict energy just in a different way. Um, so I think that that makes an interesting situation, you know, like we're having this conflict, you know, and then someone's like, hey, you can, you know, you guys chill. Not saying you shouldn't have done that, but it's just an interesting melding of all the different energies. And I think that plays out in the online space mm. in an interesting yeah. way. You know, guys are very used to being like, here's why you're an idiot. <laughs> see, see, Owen, if it was a matter of me knowing how Daniel was going to react from previous things, then I would know. This is kind of a new thing for me to put Daniel in this kind of position yeah, where cool. he could theoretically go away. So it's like, you know, like if this was something that I know, OK, like he can get in there, he can take it, he can. And maybe he could. I don't know. But it's like you're all good, man. It's totally cool. You know what I mean? I don't want to. I always are on the side of like not being a dick. Not that, I'm not saying he was being a dick, but like for me personally, I try and err on like so someone's like you know feeling a certain way i'm like all right i don't want i, I really don't want to make it like he's gone now we're talking about him so we can like talk about no else. no yeah, but yeah. i do feel the one thing i would say just to leave off this would be i feel like there's a lot of like i shouldn't like say this but i have a friend actually who is working with that one uh study in toronto for maps and uh we've had our disagreements about this general direction of psychedelia and psychedelic culture. And I think like the problem is that it seems to like the selling point is that it does go one way, but it's very like, at least in terms of like these spaces, it's very rare to like see someone like you who is like went through it and went through it in a way that most people even haven't. 
but then to come out the other side as rejecting it. And it's a very rare, like, you know, when you see, I remember like the one time, uh, what was it? It was like on Joe Rogan where like Graham Hancock's like, I gave up weed and everyone in the chat's like, Oh my God. Like yeah, they oh. go nuts. They go nuts. They go nuts because it's like, it's, I, I don't know. I don't want to be cynical, but at the same, well, I guess I do actually. But at the same time, I feel like it's a way of trying, like people in the chat were saying, like not the people that were being, well, I personally don't care if people are being disrespectful. There's people that say shit about me in the chat, whatever. But like, like there are valid criticisms in terms of like getting enlightenment on the cheap for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And I think like the, the way to like, yeah, you can't force it. Yeah. And like, I, like when I started like questioning, like, okay, there's other things I question about Terrence McKenna's worldview, obviously like his, his take about human populations and like uh, the dominator ego is kind of sus, but whatever. But when he said like, um, yeah, I tried, I tried meditation and it was just too boring. It's like, I don't know. I feel like it's the same product of like this Western modernism of like, we have to get it fast. And now and it's mm -hmm. give me the DMT on <laughs> fucking uh, sold to me on like, uh, I don't know, artisanal DMT. That's like, uh, what's the food sharing thing? What's it called? Uh, the, the delivery, uh, like, like skip the dish, but DMT, like, <laughs> Come on now. It's gotta yeah, be, no. it's gotta be artisanal. I'm watching Rick and Morty while I have artisanal <laughs> marijuana. I feel like that's, <laughs> I don't know. So I feel like that's a problem because there's a, not a context there that can deliver people into a greater. And, and that's something that you say, Owen, like I remember reading, this was like back in, I want to say 2018. This is how long ago it was. But that thread you had about psychedelics in general, like that, like at the time I was just getting out of it. I'm like, damn, that's like, you were hitting at something that, and you got a lot of flack for it. I mean, the, the thread you got a lot of flack for, let's face it, the AOC thread. That was legendary, by the way. I didn't mention it last time, but that AOC thread, oh my God, that was like, ugh. But um, no, the psychedelic thread was another one where a lot of people were like ganging up on you. They're like, how dare you like criticize? How dare you say it can lead you down a wrong path? But you know. yeah, the thing is, I mean, that's kind of why I like talking about it, especially, you know, in certain situations, because, you know, I used to be like that with weed where like mm. someone's like, oh, you know, like you just said, like with the Joe Rogan thing, like literally I used to be just like that. And that's kind of why I really like illuminating in my own mind, like the go-to arsenal, like the go-to tautologies that these like different worldviews have, have. Like if you criticize mm. weed, the first thing someone says is like, oh, but what about alcohol? You drink alcohol, don't you? And then you're like, <laughs> well, I don't drink alcohol actually, you know? And then like, oh, well, I bet that you just had a situation where you smoke too much weed. And you're like, not really actually, you know? And they have this like arsenal to go to. And, uh, in general with like ayahuasca people, I definitely get that. I mean, I'm not talking about him, I'm talking about people I'm thinking of in real life. Like you definitely have that where they're like, well, you just have to try it. And you're like, well, I did try it. And they're like, well, you didn't do it like with a shaman. And you're like, well, I did actually. And they're like, but, but maybe you didn't do this thing. And you're like, I did that thing too. Um, and I think it's really hard to get to a point where like any valid logical criticism can be unpacked without the lens turning back on you to be like well you just got like you know maybe a shaman killed your dog and now you have this crazy irrational <laughs> yeah. hatred like who hurt you so I remember that was <laughs> yeah you're just so biased that you can't even you know begin to consider logic for one second like i can't even oh, yeah. reason with you so you know what i, I, mean? I so. think like to to play like to play devil's advocate i do think that if 
there is a material benefit to veterans or people that go through PTSD or people mm. that have clinical depression. If they could like get off of the suicide pills. Like I have an argument all the time with a very close family member, not to reveal who, who has clinical depression, who has been on pills his, basically his whole life. Um, we have this argument all the time about the efficacy of drugs and whether people need them. But I feel like if they're, if psychedelics do promise in clinical trials that it can help people, then I think, you know, it's good. But at the same time, I mean, I don't want to get all like, you know, like Michelle Foucault, like every fucking stream, but to, to me, it's like the, cons con like hippies going to the, sorry, hippies, my fucking microphone right there. Um, hippies like going to the medical establishment and getting consent for their worldview to me is just, I don't know. I don't think Daniel's doing that, but he's got criticisms of it. But I feel like the people, like, like I say, I have a friend or whether I grew up with a guy, I have a friend who is with that guy. Um, I, I can never pronounce his last name for the life of me. John, uh, Vircon, Vicar, uh, something uh, i forget he's a youtuber but he's also in toronto university of toronto um and we've had this discussion where like yeah okay there's material benefits but i think like if it could lead people to a place where you know it's the the even just like like hinting at the fact that people are on a spiritual and even genetic level different and they will interact differently to these substances. I mean, that is like so beyond the pale to like this like hippie egalitarian worldview. I mean, even like in the modern left, I mean, that's something we could talk about. Like the modern contemporary, well, like, I mean, the wokes, they have their own theology in a different way. But for a long time, like during the 90s and 2010s, they like basically got rid of their like new age shit. Like they peeled off the free Tibet stickers from their Honda Accords. They're like, no, we have to be atheists now. We have to be godless communism now. But now it's like they're going back in a weird way, like to this, uh, what, what Carlsbad called last stream, this like, woke integralism this like woke ethnic integralism of like faith-based like intergenerational trauma being like a metaphysical like i don't know and what do you think of those takes about like modern woke religion like do you think it's a religion or do you think like that's just like a fucking james Lindsay take or and something? also for those know. who are wondering what i was eating i was eating a moo anyway oh and go yeah on. i also have some steak ready for me after the stream but uh, go ahead <laughs> um yeah, it definitely functions as a religion in certain ways. I mean, saying something functions like as a religion, like what does that even like mean, you know, mm -hmm. not to be like too mm -hmm. meta. But yeah, I mean, there's a really interesting, I guess the most interesting take I would have on that is that there's actually a really weird sync up that comes together with what you could call like esoteric-y, Gnostic-y, new age stuff and sort of the scientific atheism, humanism thing. They actually do go together, even though that mm. seems like the most unintuitive thing ever. I mean, if you trace like both of those things back, the first real, I mean, I'm not a scholar of humanism, but if I think of humanism starting out, I think of like, what's his name? Pico Mirandola yeah. in the Renaissance yeah. in Florence. Right. But he was a Kabbalist. He was an occultist. He was yeah. literally like, he got excommunicated. I'm pretty sure from the church for writing a whole book about how like Kabbalah was integrated with Christianity and all this stuff. So that sync up, which also happens in like urban areas, by the way, non-coincidentally is there. And I've really thought about it a lot. It's really, really strange. I think it has to do with like those floating, 
terms. You know, you can meet someone who really is like a scientific atheist, but they're really into Buddhism. Mm -hmm, You can meet mm -hmm. someone who's like, yeah, like, so I mean, even the terms they use like energy, like source energy, like we're getting in contact with source energy and stuff, you know, they go together. But as for why, you know, I can't really say there is, you mentioned like the political aspect. There is also an interesting sync up with the politics because like, there's this sort of, um, denial of material conditions having an effect mm-hmm. that I mm-hmm. see mm-hmm. sync up with the new age stuff. Like for me, oh, a yeah. lot of new age stuff and like where a lot of people, no one in particular ends up like with psychedelics is where it's like, you know, if you were to make a caricature of it, let's put it that way, like a total caricature, it's like, you know, like bad things just happen and it doesn't really mean anything. Like the universe is like love and light. You know, I feel like there's some sync up there too with like a denial of like evil and the negative aspects of reality that syncs up with certain like political views. But as for why, it's it's really interesting, man. It's really hard to say. Well, even like just the class thing, like there there's like people like even like Chapo ironists who like don't have a spiritual bone in their body, like fucking Carl Bezier or that fucking DJ guy that pretended to be uh post left but really he's like a total maniac not to name him because he'll go after me uh, but he's gone after all my friends but then people like that like they'll criticize people like amy therese um they'll go after them and they'll be like oh material class politics don't matter anymore material conditions we've transcended them we're gonna have glorious space neoliberalism and it's like okay. to me i mean maybe it's because they're like fucking grad students that went that have come from upper middle class backgrounds who knows right but it, it, you, you're right. There is like sort of this like Eric Vogelin point of Gnosticism pre- predict, you know, Gnosticism is a predicate for other forms of Gnosticism, whether it's like new age, like hippy dippy humanism, or whether it's like total, like transhuman scientistic, uh, like total apocalypticism of like transforming the human into this postmodern like this is not like post-human entity i mean in, in a way this was like 90s cyberdelia this was like tech people getting like going to fucking eastland and hearing like terence mckenna talk right like this i mean like that to me i think just it, it brings up so much questions of where we're going with this you know i don't know can you possibly imagine the scenario where the uh, horseshoe theory, which I know ends up being besmirched a lot, mm-hmm. but there may be something to that. If we're talking, you had a really about funny people. vocal crack there for a minute, Lev. That's because I had salad. I had some. Oh, food. that's why. Yeah, this is good salad, by the way. Look at this. And stuff someone here. in the chat asked me, Alexander, if you ever gone goth, you should have the. I am goth. goth. Look. No, but I like look- dye your hair black and accentuate the. My hair like- is black. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but it. So okay, so yeah, so go Owen. Ahead. So with this, you uh, need the theory, Yvonne De Carlo look. You have to have the white street. Never mind. Never mind. Whatever. So I'm gonna. This, I'm gonna I will teach you. No. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Bud. I'm sorry. Yeah. No. Okay. If, the chat, if the chat wants to style me, like, do it. I'm so for it. Please make some suggestions. The Alexandra Pl- Plotnik dress-up game. Yeah. Yes. So, so uh, okay. So Owen. Right now. Gonna be so sorry too. All right, so you know the horseshoe theory—the idea that people who are on the uh, far left are just like the people who are on the far right, and var- vice versa. Do you subscribe to that? And if no, uh, why not? I know this is kind of straying away from psychedelics, but I'm just curious. No, definitely not. Okay, why not? Um. Uh, well, to not get all meta of like, what does it even mean to be like on the left or right? But that would be like a valid road to go down. 
I think there's, I think I see horseshoe at theory apply to like some things where it's like, do you like guns? If you go far enough left, people start to like guns again. You know, if you go right, they like guns, obviously. I think it applies to some things. Um, but in general, not really. I think that in general, there are different like basis for the different worldviews that I don't really see like connecting all the way at the end. I think they connect in certain instances, maybe if you were like, what about this specific policy and this specific thing? But well, to take something like, for example, uh, authoritarianism. So authoritarian regimes, let's say if there was a based and trad-pilled authoritarian <laughs> who would no. come in and start to institute uh, things that you may not be as opposed to. Is that that different from the leftists getting their uh, authoritarianism, you know, like a Chavez style guy or Morales or mm -hmm. whatever to come in and start to nationalize all the uh, all the property? Like the results may be different, but as far as like getting somebody in there, some strong man in there to institute a particular thing through force. Would you say that uh, if that were to happen, people along your camp would agree with that if it was their guy? Had, uh, if there if it was uh, slash our guy <laughs> um i'm sure some people would be into that uh i think that the crux there would be that i don't really see like authoritarianism which is like itself like a loaded term or like the tendency to use authority to coerce people i don't really see that as like the left right divide really um, for me personally, cause like then what, like, isn't Alex Jones, like right wing, but Alex Jones mm -hmm. is like his number one quality is like resisting tyranny, you know, but then isn't, you know, we could find someone on the left too. Like, isn't this guy lefty, you know? Um, so I think that it goes a little bit deeper for me, the best pin I could put in it is like how people are, or should be organized more specifically, like what unites people. I think as you go like further, on the left or lefty style it's more like class is what unites people and like material conditions mm -hmm. whereas on the right what unites people is more like what i've come to call peoplehood which could be people based on like uh well i'm thinking of like peoplehood like a people like the korean people or like the oh, world. Like ethnicity or religion like national, well, ethnic nationalism. Be, well it could be the thing is it gets a little complicated because it could be based in an ethnic kind of thing or it could be based in a nationality or it could be or religion religion or something but it's yeah. more like that is what unites people and i think that's the best model i've come up with because even with something like like if i was going to try and get the most like horseshoe theory style i'd probably it's a really weird example but i'd probably think of something like you know almost like north korea where it's like they're socialists, right? They're almost like kind of commie, but like not really. But they're ethno-extreme ethno-nationalists. But they're yeah. based in like the people. And it's like this government serving the people. You yeah, know what Juche. I mean? So it's like, is that right-wing ethno-nationalism? Wait, wait, which government is that again? North, North Korea. North Korea. North Korea. Juche. But I think Ideology. that they get characterized more as left-wing because I don't really think their emphasis is on like... No, but that, is actually a, but that is actually, I think, a good example of an extreme that would be well, so they're ambiguous they're like, as far as where yeah. it would be that it would actually be a great example of things going into that horseshoe theory. Glass Cake, shout out to the great uh, Glass Cake. He says, uh, the modern right-left dichotomy is resisting tyranny versus enforcing equity. Now, here's where I would differ. If we are talking about, like, let's face it, some people... People who are within more of the uh, reactionary circles, they're not 
libertarians. They're not searching for there to be like independent communities that would, I mean, maybe some are, but I'm sure that there are some who would welcome a dictator coming in and setting up order and everything being nice and orderly. And uh, this is why I would equate those people, however you want to categorize them, if they are people who, regardless of whatever sauce we're talking about, because Owen, your example of, let's say, having, uh, you know, this uh, more... Uh, uh, national or ethnic based uh, versus having more of an egalitarian based uh, system. I see these as different sauces. And I'm talking about the fact that these sauces, some people but would even... yearn for a chef who would have, you know, who would use one sauce versus another sauce for but the But even dish. like what Owen was saying, like I think we didn't, maybe, Owen, if you could elaborate um, the point we were making about openness and how that's not like inherently a good. Like I remember it's like, you know, my my professor, my mentor, he said, you know, some people are so open-minded that their brains fall out. I feel like <laughs> in the 60s, that's what happened. Yeah, like, no, they were so, and there were studies being done. I know studies, right? I mean, that was like <laughs> when ZHP especially was around, it was like the studies thing. But there were studies to show how like people that are predisposed to like having psychedelic experiences, they're like high on openness already. But then that's challenging because this one, I mean, this one hit piece I remember reading about, um, where it's like how like these alt-right people were taking psychedelics and how, you know, it's not uh, as what's cracked up to be. I mean, it, it is generally true though, that like people that like this, this thing about open-mindedness being inherently a good, I mean, that's another image of thought, but what, what well, like- as, 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 a, as a personality trait, not as like mm. a kind of, what, what we may consider like open-mindedness and like the hippie sense. Uh, mm. of just like accepting everything and not questioning anything and but like even in daniel's book like he has this one chapter about like the sexual revolution about how like some people will choose to leave monogamy others people won't it's like this and this was written like before the whole like fucking polycule shit was coming into discourse right so i don't know what like, owen what do you think of like the whole open-mindedness thing like i don't know um well, it's kind of an interesting term. I mean, in terms of everything you're talking about, I think that sync up is there because I think it's also why I don't want to make like ultimate statements, but I think like, you know, just when I look at people generally, like it's a little bit easier to rope people over to like the lefty side, I think at this time and place, because when you start asking questions like, oh, like, why can't we just like magically feed everyone? Like, oh, why can't we just like give everyone a house? Like, why can't we just like leaning into those things, whether they're good or bad, whatever people's political right. views are that they're listening right. to right now. Like, it's easy to be like, oh yeah, true. Yo, why don't we just do that? Like we can do anything. Like, and then you start yeah. to feel like you're kind of like on the left, but pushing back against those things and saying like, hey, reality has like these limitations and, you know, um, we're constrained by these like material conditions and we have to like look out for ourselves and we have to kind of be careful because then all of a sudden you're kind of like mm. more on the right, I would say generally. Mm. And, you know, you're asking about open-mindedness and stuff. I think that a lot of times in terms of like social views, open-mindedness is kind of characterized that way. Like you're being closed-minded. Like, why don't we just X, Y, and Z? And then if you give them the answer of like, I don't know if that's going to work out, man. Like, I don't really, I think there's larger things you're not considering. It's really easy to get hit with like, well, you're not being like open-minded enough. Yeah, and like, like yeah, if, you're, if you're, you're, especially if you're a woman, you know, and you're like pressured to do something you don't want to do, it's like the whole deal, like, you know, you're not, oh, oh, just open your mind, you know, see the new reality and what it actually is, in, is indoctrination, you know, if like somebody is like pushing you towards a certain viewpoint and like accusing you of not being, you know, open enough, like generally that's a trap.
Yeah. Alexander, yeah. you're saying women are more susceptible to women are more susceptible to social pressure. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I am actually. I think women women are more trusting. Based. Like literally, like, oh my God. It's I thought I'll turn you into a trad cottage core wife yet. <laughs> Don't worry about it. No, I'm, ki- I'm oh, kidding. You're, you're gonna be like a Disney, like a Disney princess. I'm only wife, half kidding. And you're gonna be, and you're gonna be singing while making a a beautiful pasta but, dish no, for but, Gio, and then the pigeon, okay, and then the pigeon is gonna fly sing. down. <laughs> no, but I, I sorry, I keep, I keep this stupid fucking bullshit I have. But it, no, but it is true. Like you would think that it. I don't want to say it. I'm not saying it that way, but it is true. A lot of women, they, they do feel a sort of unique social pressure, even mm-hmm. on a psychological level. I mean, yeah. I mean, Owen can test this. We've, we've talked about this, but also on Twitter. I mean, it seems that all people can fucking talk about this month is like whether men are at fault or women are at fault or why things are shit. And I, uh, I remember Owen, you were responding to this one particular <laughs> person, but uh, even like today before the show, I was, while watching some pinchback stuff, but I was listening to the recent episode of uh, Default Friend and Personality Girls podcast after the orgy episode four. And by the way, go and listen to their podcast. Default Friend will be here on BTR next week with Bimbo Ubermensch yes. um, and Chaotic Girl. And so uh, she was. They were talking about this story that was very very popular a few years ago in all the literary spheres. Um, Oh, you guys, Alexandra, you must have read this one. The cat one where the woman had this like story of the New Yorker. It was about like, she had like, kind of like, she had like, not pressured, but like, kind of like bad sex with this older dude. Mm-hmm. Remember that story? No, this is in the New Yorker. This was, a, it was in the 2010s. It was a very popular short story that all oh, these man. journalists were talking about. This was like at the height of the Me Too thing. In like oh, 20- can you, can you, like, what are, what are names? Who is this guy? Who I think it's called song? The Cat by, uh, I'll, I'll look cat. it up for you. All right, but, yeah, I'll, I'll look it up right now. The Cat. And, and, yeah, and they were talking about, um, th- like, about how um, it's, we, culturally, we can't exactly place, like, a moral uh, matrix upon these different things that make us feel bad. Oh wait, I have the episode. It's called a uh, cat person by Kristen. Oh Rupinen. yeah, I just I found it. Yeah, Ooh, cat person. Yeah, it looks heavy. Uh, hopefully, it's, it's, not it's actually written. It's, it's not the best <laughs> written thing though. But, but anyways, but we can't really place a moral or cultural framework upon things that are viol- violating our experiences. Mm. But we're it's not exactly legally quote unquote not without consent. But yet at the same time, they make us feel disgusting inside. Mm-hmm. Um, although I agree with, the, I disagree with this writer. I don't think having sex with a fat man is particularly <laughs> disgusting, but that's only self-interest. Um, <laughs> but it's in some ways, <laughs> can't knock it till you try it. Um, anyways, I think that this, <laughs> this sort of come, but this attitude comes out of, unfortunately, mm. this like hippie, new age drug culture mm-hmm. and not to, i don't mean to sound like fucking uh uh what's the guy's name jerry farwell or whoever but i mean kind of but <laughs> it, it comes out of that milieu of like don't knock it till you try it have these open experiences not to say that daniel pinchevick was saying that of course he was i was actually surprised that daniel was very willing to criticize a lot of like the like psychedelic ideology if you will but at the same time it's like this 
attitude of like this moral and again like like oh and you please talk about seraphim rose talk about how this is all nihilism at its root and this like <laughs> sort of pressuring people to be open to experiences how this can like lead down yeah well uh, that's a what, bad path yeah, that's what happened like you know in the 60s that's why people kind of soured to it is that like, yeah there were communes like there was no sexual rules. assault yeah. rampant in mm -hmm. these communes yeah yeah we but, didn't but, have even the com we, we oh god well i mean like you're going from the 50s which was a very like sexually uptight era to the 60s which was like i mean and uh, by the way not everybody in the 60s embraced sexual liberty. no it was actually no like, no that people. like my i have aunts it's who not like bad. lived at the time they it, didn't cas yeah. casual sex isn't bad i'm not i'm not Casual sex. I can give you the studies where women, uh, the genetic material. Never mind. Never. Mind. Anyways, it influences the yeah, like, the grafting of uh, your brain if patterns. If you know what you're doing, it's not. If you don't know what you're doing, yeah, you can get really hurt. You can get fucked over so easy. Like I, there are a lot of women out there who are not doing what they were used to do because they had bad experiences, you know. But you know, I I, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with casual sex practice with safety and with like mutual respect you know like, well we could argue whether that would even entail respect to begin with in a casual sex frame but, but yeah. my point being is that this sort of the the really like the the hippie sort of worldview that became instantiated in pop culture but but oh and you wanted to talk about seraphim rose this is what i want to talk about because i am also a, i'm not an orthodox christian i'm a i'm a catholic because i'm genetically predisposed to catholicism <laughs> because of my Italianness, but um give me like seraphim rose i mean the one th the one part i didn't agree with the nihilism was when he talked about contemporary art but that's like my own personal bias but when he taught he specifically talked about if i recall he did do lsd back in the day right he yeah i'm pretty sure he did he lived in san francisco and like around that time yeah and uh, but but you the overarching framework of nihilism get please enlighten us with yeah uh, well, the main way that his work, I guess you could say, intersects with my vibe. I really, I should say that I climbed in there and took out like everything I could, like a little bandit, uh, <laughs> is really orthodoxy in the religion of the future. I did read nihilism. What's it called? Nihilism, Roots of Discontent in the Modern World or something yes, like that. Yes. That is a really good book. In case anyone's listening to it, it's really, really short. Um, it's really good. And, uh, but yeah, the main thing for me would be more like orthodoxy and the religion of the future. Uh, he also has something called the Orthodox Survival Guide. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of it, I mean, now I'm kind of like paraphrasing like into my own situation, but, and like with what you guys are talking about now is a lot of it is about like a denial of like the actual material conditions. He wouldn't, I don't think that he would phrase it that way. Like the material conditions, it's more like the situation that God has like imparted to us. Um, but for me, what would be relevant to all this is more like orthodoxy and the religion of the future. That is really about taking like all this stuff, almost like everything actually that we've talked about and putting it into what would, you know, an orthodox Christian say about this. Um, and that's what I think is really interesting because it opens up sort of an avenue of critique that is not typically explored. And, and if you could, for people who haven't read, where yeah. does he, how does he critique a lot of the excesses of 60s culture that he saw in his lifetime with orth with like the orthodox christian approach um that's a good question is the sexual stuff addressed in that book well um, not just sexual but i guess anything like yeah 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 in general yeah. um 
Well, I think a lot of it, I, I don't want to say like I'm characterizing his view. I'll say more like what I've picked up from going through things like that is that a lot of it is an expression of man's desire for something higher for God. Mm -hmm. It's a natural expression. Like we are naturally made to try and elevate ourselves and to seek, you know, something higher than ourselves. And I think that seeing a lot of that stuff within that framework really illuminates a lot of it. I mean, a lot of the like sixties stuff and things that go after that, like seventies, eighties, even is like pretty insane, man. Like primal, yeah. like screaming therapy and yeah. people trying to like climb through yeah. like makeshift birth canals and being like reborn and all this stuff. And Jodorowsky spoofed a lot of that in the Holy mountain too. Yeah. Yeah, the orgasmatron and uh, yeah. Yeah, so I see a lot of it through that lens. Um, it's more like he kind of like flipped a switch on in my brain and then I couldn't not see it that way. Like even just what I just mentioned, like climbing through a birth canal and trying to be like reborn, like you're trying to be reborn. You're trying to like remake yourself, right? But that's what the Holy <laughs> Spirit does. That's like what, like come over here to this building where we're not like naked and screaming, like come try it out. And I think there's this kind of like fetishization of like shedding um, something like shedding conditioning My shadow or, shedding, shedding skin. or getting, getting yeah. something, getting rid of something. You know what I mean? Like I see it everywhere from everything like the Terrence McKenna stuff where ultimately why I broke with him in, in some sense is like he sees the fact that culture impresses upon you as like inherently negative. He's like, mm -hmm. you have this cultural programming, that's true, but you have to get rid of it, it's bad. It's like a parasite on you, you know? Um, or even something like here, I met someone even in this like small town I lived in who was doing like radical, like honesty therapy or something. Oh, wow. Just like literally saying whatever came How to How is he not mind. dead like, yet? And like they would do that, it was a, it was a girl. And they would oh, do this thing yes. where like they would go somewhere and like, and like get naked in front of people. And like, they would feel, you know, naturally you would feel kind of like, I don't want to say shame, but you feel weird being naked in front of other people. Right. Yeah. But for a lot them, of the nineties feminists did this as well. That like Amanda Palmer going up there with a Sharpie naked and saying, right stuff on my body, stuff like that. Oh, gee, yeah. I'm so happy so, you know about Amanda Palmer. Oh, yeah. you, you want me to go into bikini kill? In a minute? <laughs> yeah. So just to be, just to be, just to be clear, I think that that, is related to all this. And I, I personally would relate it to like what I picked up from Sarah from Rose, because in that sense, that person would like feel, let's say shame or weirdness about being naked. And they would think, oh, who put this in my brain? Who put this like weird feeling about being naked in here? I got to get rid of this. I got to power through it. Yeah. But I would come from a different perspective and be like, that's innate. It's part of you. And like, that is part, like, you feeling that is normal and natural. You're looking for someone, some dark force that like planted this feeling in your brain. But actually it's like an innate part of your spirit that you feel weird being naked in front of like 20 other people that you don't know. Conditioned to do it. You know? Owen, what you're just talking about right now with these people who jump on these various bandwagons, you know, primal screaming or stripping or whatever. The thing that well, I there's this cult. Uh, they I just saw it today trending. There's this Hollywood cult where celebrities go and they have this thing where like all the guys give all the women uh, finger jobs and uh, it's like yeah. this orgasm cult I heard about. Yeah, oh, well, 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 I encountered those in Denmark. I actually oh, oh god yeah dude they're fucking creepy as shit and they're so obviously a cult and they so yeah. obviously want your money like uh, i oh god i yeah i was like on a meetup group with them and uh i thought there was going to be free pie that's how they kind of advertised it <laughs> uh, and like the moment the conversation shifted to what they actually do which is like 
finger banging for like enlightenment the whole table we were like a group of people sitting around we just went silent we're just like oh, oh man oh. and it's like all the guys they have to rotate to like all the different yeah, yeah it's fucked yeah. man but right. no i think well, if, if you have examples of these though like what, what what i was gonna say regarding all these people who jump on these various bandwagons and stick with them they're after a lot of stimulation and what i notice is that from let's say a lot of the break the rules audience as well and this is going to be me laying down the criticism of uh, our own audience which i no, love don't do it respect. don't do it yes, no please i'm about to do it fuck oh. it I don't, I don't give a shit anymore i'm about to do it i think that a lot of people are after stimulation i think that a lot of people are after something that can fill them up and something especially the younger they are they're after something with a lot of edge to it where if they are going to let's say look at the open-mindedness or whatever or look at the crazy leftist uh i i know social justice warrior has gone out of fashion but when they look at all these different fucking people they end up i think want they want to have some stimulation in their lives so they end up going into the complete opposite direction where they don't actually see there being that much of a problem with a dictator stepping in and uh wrecking the shit they don't like and creating a system that they would like because mm -hmm. that is much it's much edgier and it's much sharper and it's much let's say it's much more high time preference than somebody like ben shapiro or barry weiss for instance and i honestly do think that this is something that belongs to people who are not done uh, finding things out yet like i think we're all like i said before with daniel we're all well, eternal students and we all got shit to find out and this idea that okay i got this figured out i know what to do this is based in red pilled and trad pilled and i'm gonna stick with this i don't think that's enough man like i think we have to we still have to well keep learning. Li listen let's get off of the listen chat at least one parent loves you in see this you don't you, you don't even want to so, address the at least in the i room agree here. with you but owen oh, it, it's really we can't be comfortable we cannot be be comfortable because this I know. weakens us. I know, but um, <laughs> um, but no, uh, oh, and what you said is really apt because I think like Seraphim Rose, he still had this unique ability. Whether like a lot of Orthodox people and someone in the chat, by the way, let mentioned that we should get like um Church of Eternal Logos and Jay Dyer on. Although I don't know, I mean, Jay Dyer is a pretty confrontational dude. I respect him. Uh, it would be pretty interesting though if we yeah. got Jay Dyer on. But, but um, see, like the the people who recommend it, they are only recommending uh, slash our guys. They're not going to be recommending anybody who disagrees with what they think. No, but because it's uncomfortable. Well, I mean, it's no, not comfortable I, to listen to somebody who disagrees with you. I understand. Well, the problem, the problem, Lev, I think, is the people that would disagree with us. It's kind of hard to convince them. I mean. I can say also, I think that part yeah, of something interesting, just in terms of like you guys planning stuff for the future is like, it also is interesting what like the premise is if two people disagree, you know, cause like if I go somewhere and someone's like, yo, Owen's going to debate this guy, like, hell yeah. <laughs> like it's totally different than like, you know, if it's like me feeling like, okay, but I kind of have to like wrestle you and like pin you down on like this specific point like what about like this you know it Into makes it job. like a very makes it a very like interesting vibe i feel that in real life too because like sometimes you'll be talking to someone and they'll be like yeah well that's wrong because of this and you're like not really and they're like whatever and then you want to be like but but it's not I, there's it's a not way to, <laughs> there's a way to do debates that come into a discussion later but i yeah. feel like well, we do those with you're the very invested debates. in things yeah, like, yeah, you're well, like oh, oh, and I told you about that uh, reverse debate that we're going to have on Christianity yeah. versus paganism. We're not going to do it. Actually, yes, I we are. Love. We yes, we are. No, we're doing it. 
We're doing yeah, it. Yeah, but the problem, okay, the problem up. left. The We're going to get a Mormon, so everybody's happy. We're going to get a Mormon. The problem is that you're essentially asking people to commit blasphemy, but that's, I mean, if, I don't know. I don't know if I should go, I don't know if I could coincide on that, to quote Ethan Ralph. But no, what I want to say, Owen, is that very interesting with Seraphim Rose. Uh, well, we could debate about that debate, but yeah. what's interesting about Seraphim Rose is that he still managed to retain a lot of the the good things that he learned in those circles. I mean, at the same time, the hippies were going along. There was sort of like a meshing with like the new left politics of like anti-psychiatry. For example, R.D. Lang was good friends with Alan Watts. And R.D. Lang wrote the, the well, he wrote like the politics of experience of the birds of appetite, but he also wrote um, the divided self. And so Seraphim Rose, he goes into a little bit of this from what I've read, but also like, when Seraphim talks about like how the Orthodox person should in like interpret these things. Um, like for instance, Terrence McKenna, like what you talked about with him, that's like fucking like Terrence McKenna is like, you know, that's like Jean-Jacques Rousseau with like drugs, you know, it's, it's it, a lot of the stuff he says about humanity's future and the nature of the human and the nature of uh, men and women and so forth. Like the, I, I noticed like, a lot of those McKennites, from my experience when I was in those circles, they have like this really weird aversion to Christianity and to like pronatalism and things like that. And to me, I, I feel like every time you mention Christianity around like psychedelic people, unfortunately, they have like this gut intuitive response of like, this is the religion of mom and dad and like, fuck that. And and I don't know. I just, I, I feel like... <sighs> At the one end, they're like, yeah, Vajrayana Buddhism and, and uh, you know, Vedanta and Shankara. But then at the other end, it's like when you talk about um, John of Chlysom, it's like that's boring, terrible, oppressive, patriarchal stuff. And Yeah, well, know. that's the thing. New Age is every religion except Christianity. Yeah. New Age is like the validity of every single thought system that's ever existed except christianity i mean that's like a fundamental premise of it which like you say it's funny because no one ever tells them that no one goes to like every person to be like hey just so you know like these are the rules but everyone intuitively picks up on it for sure yeah. and i can say that's definitely been the case in my life for sure when i was in any circle you can be like i'm into like northern european shamanism i'm into like vajrayana buddhism and then you're like yo i'm reading the bible people are like what yeah <laughs> Yeah. it's really weird but, but though, it's strange though there are yeah. people out there like uh we had for example the national arts club uh rupert sheldrake who was talking about uh you know he's a christian and he participates in various uh, uh practices that you could say are more of an occult sort he went to india where he was in a uh monastery which was a christian monastery so i don't know it's weird like i see what you're saying owen but at the same time i still think that there are people out there hopefully that would make room for christianity within these uh, circles too i think they've been just brainwashed by a lot of bullshit having to do with like uh you know christians just being these ignoramuses or whatever the media tries to portray so well, i think it's more of that like christianity is like they have a very like american like moral majority like product like evangelical protestant view like they, they like they, it's like they have this 60s romanticism about like we're fighting the drug war and uh we're you know they want to have a, like they want to ban fun they want to ban um ozzy osbourne rock and roll and drugs and sex and uh and i don't know it's but then it's weird because like for example alan watts he was a he was basically going to become an anglican priest yeah but then he, he like was. yeah and then 
he, he had a good take on it. He said that, you know, a lot of Christians, it's like, well, especially in England with the Anglicanism, they have a very stoic view of the world. And it's like some things like sexuality. He's like, well, how do you put it? Um, they think th- their attitude is that these things ought to not have been. And it's like, uh, but then of course he had his own foibles and problems in life. And I don't know. I feel, I feel like when you do build up a deity around people, when you build up this, mythical personage that that a lot of these like you know it happened all the time like rhyme approach came from japan and he taught these hippies and you know it's like you're it becomes idol worship after a while and you know i don't know it's yeah yeah there's something that i think c.s lewis said which is that at the end of time it'll be hinduism versus christianity because hinduism (laughs) hinduism did we talk about this last time maybe maybe it was here no i don't think it was here but the hinduism subsumes all religions hinduism anything is compatible it can always be like dropped in but then with christianity it's the opposite it's not compatible with anything else so that at the end of time you would have like those two vectors like opposing each other Um, would you agree with zizek's take that buddhism would be like the american like capitalist realist religion of the future <laughs> uh but that buddhism would be the american realist capitalist religion of the future uh if that would be true it would only be because buddhism almost by design can be ported over and grafted over like other cultures So Mm -hmm. maybe it wouldn't be like a slight for it, but it is kind of designed to go to another culture and sort of just be like the skin over it. I don't even mean that in a negative way, but it does that like when it goes to different countries. Yeah, like Mahayana Buddhism, for instance, is like one of, yeah. If that was true, maybe. They have like pantheons with their own like shaman, uh, their own like local animist gods they'll have like next to yeah yeah i mean there's a whole there's a whole if you go to any bookstore now you could probably find like a ton of books that are like quantum physics and buddhism like you know all that stuff like they're really the same you know yeah for sure dance of the wooly masters so yeah yeah Yeah. cool so guys i think uh this is uh coming to uh the end over here but uh owen cyclops you are amazing as always i really appreciate you coming in here talking with daniel it's always a pleasure every time yes. even though there's thanks. a few hiccups here and there thanks man pleasure no those are those are sure. great hiccups i think it is it is fun when people argue but i do it like to scary. type things it was really scary I well that's it... that's life right like there's yeah. scary yeah. moments and uh then it, calm, <laughs> then it calms down no i think it i think it went good i think it went exactly as it uh, as it should go and uh, in general, the only thing that I can leave you with before we end this thing is I just encourage everybody to like if you if you think the other side is in an echo chamber, like maybe you're in an echo chamber, too. Why is it the worst thing in the world to like endure information that you would find to be uncomfortable so be uncomfortable for a while this is mm. what i want to do with break the rules and we yeah. are going to be doing a lot more of it coming Yay. up because here are the events next that we week got we're gonna have up. a stream where people are gonna be very uncomfortable especially with me involved but <laughs> <laughs> now geo you can they i can tend to scare the hose if you know what i mean no. yeah, if anyone if anyone wants no. to like our if anyone wants to like combatively argue and like get in my face like hit me up i'm definitely down it's always oh, a good we will facilitate any oh, yes. yeah there was yeah. one guy you mentioned one guy that wanted to talk about nietzsche i'm not exactly equipped to do that so I might, I might say no but if he did if he did step up I, I do really respect that actually but yeah i'm just saying i'm down in general if i'm like qualified to okay well i think you and uber boyo would be a good stream yeah. that'd be good content yeah. well i think he may be watching this right now so uber boyo oh actually no i think uber boyo is dead set to do this and i was actually wondering if you 
would uh, be able to do this for the date. Well, we would so need someone who is like, Thurs- I, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, Thursday, June 10th. This is the date. I know uh, I think Uber Boyo can do this. So, Owen, if you can do Thursday, June 10th, I can just put it right in there. If and, he's on uh, Twitter, add me yeah. into a group chat with him and we'll talk about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Well, uh, cool. we'll, we're going to figure I that out. I think I know some people who might be really into Nietzsche that could po- possibly... Uh, get hooked yeah. up so yeah and glass cake says expose yourself to the uncomfortable and respond as you wish just don't avoid it absolutely i could not agree more yeah. and glass cake is an amazing animator i just want to do a shout out to oh jay dyer and uber boil that'd be interesting that Jay-, would be interesting. Wow, that'd be Wow. So here we go. James Cunningham. I just wanted to promote him over here. Glass Cake, fantastic animator, a uh, hell of a guy. So please follow Glass Cake as well. And guys, please follow over here. Uh, well, Owen Cyclops. I'd be surprised if uh, you know you aren't following Owen. I mean, I'm pretty sure everybody is. But just in case you're not, here is uh, Owen's Twitter. And uh, let's and see. go to his his buy his shirts and his prints. Oh yes, to, that reminds me. I have to buy something from Owen. I have to buy some of the stickers. Lord, thanks, man. Owen um, Cyclops my, uh, Shopify. That is where you go to get all the stuff. And I, I soon will his... have a shop set up too. Yes, oh, by I the way, Owen, how do you get well? your stickers made? If I re- ask you really quickly, how do you do that? Uh, I order them from a company called Sticker Mule, okay. and uh, I got to find a way to sell them like one by one. But that's why that's kind of why I do them in packs. They're like here in yeah. boxes, and then I ship them out. Yeah. I think nice. the packs are like, I had this thing where I was going to make um, stickers. I have like a bunch of eggshells and I wanted to paint like these little Bob Ross landscapes on them. Maybe oh, people word. might, might dig mm. and they did that. So, and uh, follow Pineal Colada on Twitter. Uh, she had to go, unfortunately, cause her uh, child was uh, crying over there in the background. So uh, she had to tend to that, but a uh, Pineal Colada with the hat, everybody loved her. And go and, to her uh, Etsy. Yeah. Go to her Etsy. Please go to her Etsy. And, uh, Last but certainly not least, uh, we have uh, Porco Rosso That's flies me. again. Yeah. Oh, you also have an Etsy. Yeah. I me mean, no, not yet. I have to. I, I'm starting up some shit. I'm gonna do Redbubble. I'm gonna start doing stickers. Actually, oh, and we should have a sticker discussion. Well, you can do. Well, you're a digital artist. So you could do the yeah. NFT shit. So that's. I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm still really on the fence about that shit because, like, you know, it really is bad for the environment. It makes well, I'm not. I'm not on the fence about it. Speaking of which, on Sunday <laughs> we're going to have a live stream where it's gonna be me, uh, Geo, hopefully, uh, and. Uh, Aiden Paladin. I'm actually familiar with already. You want to come? You want to come on? The I would stream? love to. Excellent. That's Sunday. I might at 2 be doing PM. a lino cut during while Lev is finishing nice. one of his NFTs. I'll do a lino cut. So. so this is Aiden Paladin and Made a Nomad. Made a Nomad is coming in there. So uh, Wild really Things pretty- is actually a great movie, by the way. I love that movie. I think that was from the post. But Owen, yeah. would you do an NFT? Are you getting into that action, or you think it's all bullshit? Um, I'm definitely open to it. I, I think that the people saying that there's an environmental effect that there's, there's presumably some legitimacy to it. To be honest with you, I haven't looked into it that much. Cause I kind of feel like crypto is like reparations for like internet nerds. Like now that all, <laughs> like, yes! like now that all, like everyone's forced to be online and I have to share the internet with like normal people, like I yeah. should be able to get rich off crypto as like repayment. But I haven't done it because I'm like, Ugh, maybe I should think a little bit more seriously about it. So I haven't done it. Uh, but I really like the crypto stuff. So, yeah, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do about that. Maybe I should I should get into crypto and NFTs. Yeah. But, but it's Hell hard yeah, for yeah. me. Yeah, it's, unless I do something like I could do like 
uh, a wood block where I only print off one and then I burn the wood. Some people do actually like burn or destroy their wood wood blocks or their linos because they wanted. But that's like to me, that's just artificial scarcity. I think that's a fucking gimmick. But that's, I think that's kind of dishonest. You know, I don't know. Unless the woodblock gets destroyed, which does happen, like through printing. But um, I don't know. Artificial scarcity. It's kind of like the NFT things. It's like, it's like, it's just like the 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 artist is now consenting to like this hyper, like Nick Land capitalism that's going to go on. It's just well, aren't people selling uh, their souls through uh, crypto as well? Isn't that going on? I, well, yeah, Bart's soul. They're going to sell like Bart. You know, give it to Mel- Millhouse. The Millhouse sells it to some weirdo in a comic shop, and then he has to go to Capital City, and some fucking uh, uh, street cleaner tries to run him over. <laughs> Do you remember that episode? The, the oh man, it's been, it's been a while, soul. dude. I know literally while, exactly man. what you're talking about. I actually have a book here that's all about like theology and the Simpsons, and I was like, yeah, <laughs> I could rewrite this wow. so much better. I actually literally, it's literally on my shelf right now. Oh man, so, um, yeah. there's this great YouTuber, Dark Simpsons. I don't know if you know about him, Owen, but he uh, look up Dark Simpsons. I actually, uh, he he responds to every comment I make about me. He knows who I am, but uh, nice. his content's next level. Put it that way. But I even feel like there's this whole like nostalgic mythology around like the the early simpsons and people like making edits and people That's doing like the, aesthetic the hams right yeah, yeah or or like people doing like um psychedelic simpsons on instagram or like uh uh oh yeah. scenes or, or, or it's just Simpson, what about simpsons, that sugar, uh, sugar simpsons like, well the simpsons yeah yeah sugar simpsons or whatever it's like yeah it's like the stills are. of like without any characters in it. Like that shit's like the nostalgic factor. Yeah, dude, you're talking about Scenic Simpsons. Yeah, it's so Scenic good. Simpsons. It's so good, dude. Hold on, was yeah. I? Oh man, I'll be right back. But it just hits you right in your heartstrings. There's something about that nostalgia. <laughs> just ah. Dude, when I, I was a little girl, like I was terrified of The Simpsons. Like I thought it was like the scariest shit because I probably saw like a Three House of Horror episode. Yeah. And I, thought was, I thought it was like I thought it was like you know something really dark and so like when like a couple years later when i finally like watched a normal episode i'm like oh my god <laughs> this is really fucking funny that was a nice moment actually that yeah. I think, like freed up a lot of like my yeah just spiritually mentally i'm like oh wait the simpsons are great yes buff i do remember pogs well, well, alexandra well, do you know what this is this is not a pog but this is a <laughs> dog a magnet <laughs> Is that a yes. magnet? What are the? <laughs> so this is. One of your perks. <laughs> yes, this is our is. new, uh, uh, definitely legit magnet. Yes, definitely legit magnet. This is definitely our good friend, legit. definitely legit on Twitter. Yeah, Alexandra, do you know? Do you know about definitely legit? What? <laughs> do you know about definitely legit? I know. I don't. Okay, I will show you in the chat right now. Hold on, definitely legit. So definitely legit. <laughs> on he's Twitter, this, he's a Russian guy, and uh, okay. he was part of the uh, Kaliak community back in the day, and uh, with Sonny and everybody. This is him. So first of all, what do you think of this avatar? With Sonny and everybody. I, I so here, Aww. you see the avatar. Uh, nice, right? Lassie. It is Lassie, Lassie. yeah. So yeah, so the magnet that I made. This is definitely legit wooden magnet. So this is for twenty dollar pay. <laughs> <laughs> This is for twenty dollar oh page. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. Alexandra, can you do a shout out to Definitely Legit? Because I'm gonna send this to him. Okay, hey, shout, hey, Definitely Legit. We're gonna send you a magnet. <laughs> no, we're not. This is not for him unless he becomes a patron. Definitely oh, okay. Legit. If you become a patron, we're gonna send you your own magnet. And if not, we're gonna send it to somebody else. Oh my so, lord. 
Yes, yeah, so uh, this is for twenty. This is for twenty dollar page uh, Patreon patrons. Five dollar Patreon patrons become our percolators in our uh, Discord server. Uh, the link to which I'm also going to post over here. So they are going to get access to the uh, top secret parts of the Discord, as well as having the ability to uh, post pictures inside of Discord. And uh, twenty dollars, like I mentioned, they get the magnets. $30 are going to get the beautiful print from Geo, and here is the print in action right now. It is loading right now, guys. Be a little bit patient. The print is loading, and while I'm loading that print, I want to say that uh, $50 patrons get all of the above, including a beautiful painting from Geo, including a beautiful figure that Jules created, including uh, what else? Oh, and of course, including on top of this, uh, they are also going to get a custom wooden magnet whatever they want they're going to get so that is what we're going to do for the patrons patreon.com slash break the rules we are here we are all the way live and we love you and we thank you for being here and we highly respect you i think the internet is going down for some reason this is so weird i wonder oh no now it's back never mind <laughs> we're still oh, good God. yes the stream did not die everything is good no. everything is fine Anyway, yes, so I think we're going to end it right now because, yeah, the internet, something's... We okay, now it's back. I don't know. I wanted to showcase Geo's beautiful Patreon prints. Let me try it one more time, and I really well, appreciate it. Well, it's all right. Let's end patient. the stream. I think Lev... Oh, yeah, wait. Before you do, I want everybody yes. uh, to look up R. Crumb illustrates Philip K. Dick's hallucinatory, hallucinatory spiritual experience because I think it's one of the best comic short Oh, stories. yeah, the one yeah. by Crumb. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I love that one. And it's online. It's like it's on this website called Brain Pickings. And so it's so it's a super short read. It's so good, though, and it, it just kind of brings up pretty much so, so much of what we discussed in the chat in and on the stream and you know religion and spirituality and like sacred planes and like you know this and that it's like it's 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 great excellent well i'm going to showcase this not in the chat because it's not loading there but i am going to showcase it on the screen so everybody sees it here it is geo's beautiful printmaking process look at him go it is quite quite a sight to behold there it is that's from the tfw uh no gf series so guys become a patron today we just got a 50 dollar patron recently and oh super chats we got to send the super chats i didn't say some of the super chats uh before because uh you know for reasons but uh, that that the people who sent them know but uh anyway super chats uh, from prague he gave five dollars two times so that's ten dollars thank you no he gave two more so five five two that's 12 a total of 12 dollars from prague one of the things that prague wrote is imagine asking lab coats for spiritual verification thank you so much prague for that and uh what else we have here uh oh james cortidas uh, $5 to Super Chat. Just want to give my man Owen a shout-out and props for the dope logo he did for me. Love you, bro. Oh, word. Thanks, man. Yeah, there we go. So, guys, thank you so much for watching. Be sure to subscribe. Keep subscri subscribing to Break the Rules. Love you Watch. all, even though love Lev you hates all. you all. Um, hey! I no, love, no, no, I'm the no. good Here's parent, the thing. Though. Here's the thing. If I, I hated you, you. if I, I hated you. I love you. everybody, especially the people who insulted me in, in the chat. Uh, called you a thought? <laughs> Oh, we got a lemon. We got a lemon from standing while poopy pooping. Standing while <laughs> pooping. I've never done that. <laughs> is, is that Talk about a power move. Standing while yeah. pooping. Oh man, that that is amazing. So yes. <laughs> I'm 
sorry. So thank you, you standing see, while pooping. Thank you, standing while pooping. And you guys are going to see the Bimbo Ubermensch thing show up right after we end the stream. So be sure to set a reminder for that. That is happening this uh, this coming Tuesday. Uh, watch it. Be there. I appreciate all of you. And by the way, I I love you maybe even more than Geo because if I didn't love you, I wouldn't pr put pressure on you to get out of your echo chamber and uh, grow stronger than you are already. Okay, <laughs> that, that, that's what I'm talking about. Exactly. Ex exit the goon cave of the mind. Because if you don't think you're in one, if you don't think you're in one, you're in one. So that's all of what so I'm So God, thank you to all our great guests. Thank you, especially Owen Cyclops, Daniel Pinchback. Take and, care. Uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you. God Daniel bless. was great. Take care.